الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد نعم ثم الطعن إما أن يكون لكذب الراوي أو تهمته بذلك أو فحش غلطه أو غفلته أو فسقه أو وهمه أو مخالفته أو مخالفته أو جهالته أو بدعته أو سوء حفظه. The author رحمه الله here now he goes into the second reason of why a hadith is rejected. The second reason why a hadith is مردود. Why is it rejected? The first one we spoke about, which is the disconnection of the chain, right? Now we're going to go into the criticism of the narrator. And we said that the criticism that can go on to the narrator is in two ways. The first one is his integrity, and the second one is his memorization. And his integrity, we said it's five. The criticism towards his integrity. And that's five. The first one is Al-Kadib, which is lying. Second one is At-Tuhmatu Bil-Kadib. The second one is At-Tuhmatu Bil-Kadib. At-Tuhmatu Bil-Kadib means um, he's suspected of lying about the Prophet Sallallahu And At-Tuhmatu Bil-Kadib is the one who lies in his normal conversa- conversations and dialogues but he's never been caught lying about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The third one is Al-Fisq. And Al-Fisq is the person who does major sins or is consistent upon a minor sin. And the way that it can occur is Bil-Fi'li or Bil-Qawl in terms of his speech or actions. But he doesn't reach Kufr. The fourth one is innovation. Bid'ah. And the Bid'ah can be bid'ah mufassaqa and bid'ah mukaffara. A bid'ah that can be fisk, transgression, still a believer, but he's an innovator. And the second one is bid'ah mukaffara. Mukaffara means bid'ah that reaches kufr, like the bid'ah of the qadariya and the jahmiya. Their bid'ah is bid'ah kufriya. But there's also bid'ah mufassaqa, and that's the bid'ah of the uh, murji'ah and the khawarij and Asha'ira, their bid'ah is bid'ah, mufassaqa, it's not kufr. And the fifth one is al-jahala. And al-jahala, as we're going to see, is two types. The majhul is two types. Majhul al-hal and majhul al-ayn. Majhul al-hal and Majhulul Ayn. What does Majhulul Hal and Majhulul Ayn both mean? Don't worry, it's going to come to us soon, inshallah ta'ala. The author's going to bring it, don't worry. You'll see it soon, inshallah ta'ala. After those five, the author mentioned the other five for the criticism in terms of the Dabtur Ruat. 
the precision of the narrator. The narrator's precision. And this is five as well. The first one is Fuhshul Galat. Fuhshul Galat. The word Fuhshul Galat means excessive. The word Fuhsh means Galat. Galat means mistakes. He's excessive in his mistakes. The second one is Su'ul Hivd, bad memory. And the third one is Ghafla, heedlessness. Heedless. He's a heedless person. And the fourth one is Kathratul Oham. Waham is deluded. And the last one is Mukhalafat al thiqat He opposes the narrators a lot. Mukhalafat al thiqat He opposes the narrators a lot. These Mukhalafat al thiqat means he's opposing of the narrators. A lot of the times he's narrating something opposite to the thiqat. And we mentioned the types of Mukhalafat al thiqat what they are. And the author is going to bring them, inshallah, uh, ta'ala. We mentioned them, right? Mudraj, Maqlob, Al-Mazidu fi Muttasil al-Asanid, and Al-Musahhaf, صح? Yeah, he opposes the narrators, but he does it in many ways. We're going to see that soon, inshallah ta'ala. How many ways does he oppose that? In five ways. The author is going to bring that soon, inshallah ta'ala. Naam. فالأول الموضوع والثاني المتروك والثالث المنكر على الرأي وكذا الرابع والخامس. Okay, pay attention here. Pay attention here. The first hadith, what do they call it? The scholars of hadith, what do they call the first one? The one that's the from the five that I told you. So the first one, which is الكذب, when the narrator lies, what do they call this hadith? They call it موضوع. It's called what? It's called Mawdu'ah. It's called what? Mawdu'ah. Good. What about... The Mutaham bil Kadib, the one who suspected of lying about the Prophet. He's never been caught lying about the Prophet, but he suspected to lie. This one's narration is called Matruk. Huh? It's called what? Matruk. What about the third one? The third one here means. 
So munkar is called fuhsh ghalat, ghafla and fisq. The hadith that are that are called munkar al-hadith. What about the waham, kathrat al-awham? They call this mu'allal. They call it what? Mu'allal. Are we all together? Mu'allal. The fuhsh, we haven't got to that one. Fuhsh ghalatihi, ghaflatihi, fisqihi, those three are called what? Munkar. Are we all together? The rest they leave it the, the way it is. The hadith is Machulul Hal, Machulul Ain, Su'ul Hivdi. They leave it the way it is. These ones have names. Those four that we mentioned, they have names. Naam. Thumma al-wahmun ittuna alayhi bil-qara'i wa jam'i al-tunuqi fal-mu'allal. Thumma al-mukhalafatu in kanat bil-taghiri al-siyaqi fa-mudaraju al-isnad. Now we want to know the mukhalafatu al-thiqat. Sah? Mukhalafat al-thiqat, what are the five that come out of it? The first one we said is called mudraj. The first one is what? Mudraj. What does mudraj mean? Mudraj al-isnad. Mudraj al-isnad is one of the oppositions that are present in the hadiths. Is when they find a narrator, his statement is found within the hadith. Like Abu Huraira is narrating hadith, for example, and he wants to explain. He wants to say something outside the hadith. And they mistakenly add it into the hadith of the Prophet It's called mudraj. When the word of the narrator goes into the wording of the hadith. That's one's called mudraj. The mudraj is two types, mudraj al-isnad and mudraj al-matan. There are two types of mudraj. The mudraj it happens in the, wor the wording of the hadith and it also can happen in the chain. The second type of mukhalafat al-thiqat is maqloob. When the hadith goes back to front. And the, the most common hadith that happened in Sahih al-Bukhari is um, seven, Allah is going to give them a shade a day when there's no shade. That a man gives charity out with his left hand and his right hand doesn't know what his left hand gave. Is that right or wrong? It's wrong because you don't give with your left hand. What do you give it with? You're right. So maqloob, the hadith went back to front. Ah, that's what maqloob is. 
It happened in Sahih Bukhari. That it said, حَتَّى لَا تَعْلَمُ شِمَالُ مَا تُنْفِقُ يَمِينُ That his left hand, sorry, his right hand doesn't know what his left hand gave. It was meant to be what? His left hand doesn't know what his right hand gave. This is called maqloob, back to front. Because it's more detailed, I left it for the advanced book, like Tsar Ulum al-Hadith and things like that. We'll go into more details. Just know the mudraj, it's something that's been added into the word. So there's an extra narrator being put there that's not part of the hadith in the chain or in the wording. Okay, but even the mudraj al-Isnad has many forms and... Yeah. Let's go to the th uh, third type, hey? أو بزيادة فالمزيد في متصل الأسانيد. Then the third type of مخالفة الثقات is what? It's called المزيد في متصل الأسانيد. المزيد في متصل الأسانيد is um, when the chain has an additional thing in there. There's an Additional thing that's been added to the chain. Now, yeah. like, that's why the mudraj and the asanid. I don't want us to confuse the two. Now, the hadith seems to be contradicting one another, and there's no way to bring it together. A mistake has occurred from someone here. Someone has come with a mistake. Muddarib. A lot of the times the hadith that's used for Muddarib is the hadith um, It's been narrated with all of those wordings. All of those wordings are contradicting one another. Someone did a mistake somewhere. Someone changed the wording with another wording and now it's led to contradiction in the meaning. And sometimes the, the changing of the wording can happen deliberately. Like what happened to Imam al-Bukhari when they were testing his knowledge. They changed the chaining from the wording and they mixed it all up just to see his memorization. That's why the author said, Sometimes the, it can happen, the changing of it just to test a person's memory. So you read a chain and you give it to another hadith. And you say, just to test a person's memory, that can happen. Naam. Here he goes into an issue known as Musahaf and Muharraf. Musahaf means back in the days, the names, they were not, dots were not put on it. And so a person does a mistake because they don't have the dots. So for example, Abbas and Ayyash. Abbas and Ayyash. The only difference between the two, if you write it, is dots. And if they don't have no dots, how are you going to tell which one is which? They never used to write dots. Dots got introduced later. Just like the harakat got introduced later. So here, distortion can happen from it. It's called musahaf. Naam. Here the author goes into an issue known as paraphrasing in hadith. It's called al-riwayat bil-ma'na. Are you allowed to narrate a hadith? You can't remember the wording. 
you can't remember the exact wording, but you know the Arabic very well, you know the hadith of the Prophet very well, you forgot the wording. Okay, so what do you do? You uh, narrate it based on meaning. Paraphrase. What do you do? You paraphrase. Are you allowed to do that? The Sheikh says, Rahimallah, it's not permissible to do it deliberately, only by a scholar. Who knows the Arabic language very well, knows the hadiths of the Prophet very well, he can come and do that. Because when he changes a word with another word, he's going to try to find a synonym. Naam. فَإِنْ خَفِيَ الْمَعْنَى أَحْتِجَ إِلَىٰ شَرْحِ الْغَرِيبِ وَبَيَانِ الْمُشْكِلِ The author goes into, what about if the Prophet says something in a hadith? And the Prophet uses a wording in a hadith. And this wording is a bit hard. What do we do? He says, at times like this, we go to the books that were authored in this science called Gharibul Hadith. Books that are called Gharibul Hadith, what they do is, they teach you the meaning of these strange words. And for example, like the kitab written by Abu Ubaid Qasim ibn Salam has a kitab in Gharib al-Hadith. Muafaquddin ibn Qudama has a kitab in Gharib al-Hadith. Also Abu Ubaid al-Harawi has a kitab in Gharib al-Hadith. So you buy those books and you learn the strange words that are in the ahadiths. Like when the Prophet said, Yakthuru al-Haraj. Haraj. Haraj. What does that mean? The Sahaba, they asked, Qila wa mal haraju ya Rasulallah. What does haraj mean? And the Prophet said, Al-Qatl, Qatl. Killing, killing will increase. So haraj, it's a strange word. Some scholars, they say the word haraj is actually an Abyssinian word. It's a laf, a makalima, habashiyya. It's not even an Arabic word. Ala kulli hal, it's alfad which are gharib, strange. Naam. Wait, wait. Oh, paraphrasing, no, no, it means here, um, paraphrasing here, as in like saying that the Prophet said this, um, then a person who does, who, th who think that you're narrating a hadith, because you're saying it in Arabic, they'll think the Prophet spoke exactly like that. Like, and if you say in English, everyone would understand that you're giving us what you understood. Yeah, it's understood that, right? If I say to you, the Prophet has said that every action is what is intended from it. You and I all know that the Prophet didn't speak English. and I, I'm not saying to you what the Prophet said word for word. But if I spoke to you in Arabic and I said to you that the Prophet said, You're going to say, okay. And you write it down exactly that the Prophet said it like that. So it's referring to the Arabic language. Now he goes into the machul that we spoke about, the, the, the narrator who's machul, who's unknown. Why is the narrator unknown? Why would a narrator not be known? Because maybe his, his, his descriptions are too much. This imam, he is famous with so many things, but someone mentions a thing that no one knows him for. A characteristics of his that's unknown. They'll mention it. For whatever reason, they want to hide him. It happens sometimes. Some people, they hide people's names because they don't want, it, they don't want him to be known. Uh, so he will narrate from him based on another kunya after one, his, one of his other kids. But he's not known for his other kids. 
He's actually got a kunya known as Methelen Abu Ishaq. His son is Ishaq, so he's known as Abu Ishaq. But he also has another son called Abbas. So then this person wants to hide him and make him unknown. So what does he do? He says, uh, Abu Abbas said. He didn't lie. But then everybody's like, who is this Abu Abbas? Little pick up this person. So sometimes scholars used to do that. They used to hide people's names, change it. For different reasons, of course. And because of that, they wrote books on it. There are books that you can find them that have been published on that. For example, a kitab called Wasanafu Fil Muwadhihi, Amal Muwadhihi. There's a book known as Al Muwadhihi, it's written. Um, and one of the greatest scholars who wrote in this is uh, Khatib al Baghdadi. There's a kitab in knowing those narrators. Also, Abdul Ghani ibn Sa'id al Misri, al Azdi, has a kitab in that as well. Naam. وقد يكون مقلا فلا يأخذ العهد عنه وفيه الوحدان أو لا Sometimes what might happen is this narrator, the reason why he's unknown is because not many people narrated from him. Only one person narrated from him. So he's really not known much. So scholars, they wrote books on that as well. The person who's unknown because not many people narrated from him, they wrote books called Al-Wuhdan. Books that are known as Al-Wuhdan. Al-Imam Muslim has a book on that. And Al-Hassan ibn Sufyan has a book on that as well. And other than them have books uh, on that. Naam. Or the person wouldn't be mentioned. Um, and that's why he's unknown. For example, Ja'a Rajulun. A man came. So he's not known who this person is. There are books written on that as well. You can find. Like Al-Imam Al-Khatib Al-Baghdadi has a kitab on the Mubhamad. Those people are unknown. Naam. A person is unknown. Okay. Um, sorry, a person is being praised. He's being praised. And the praise that has been put on him is general. Is it accepted? It's not accepted. Um, it is not accepted an ambiguous praise, even if the praise is with a wording of uh, with a wording. For example, if a person says, Akbarani thiqqa, a reliable man told me. Okay, who is he? We won't take it from you. Does that make sense? Someone's hiding someone, but he praises him with a word that's good. But he's hiding the person. And he says, brothers, akhbarani thiqa, a reliable person told me that this, 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 this happened. Scholars of hadith, they won't accept that. They want to know who is this person. The author here, he says, someone who is named and only one person narrated from him, only one person narrated from him, one individual narrated from him, and he's praised like the only one person narrated from him. This is called Machulul Ain. See, that's the first type of Machul that we were mentioning. And what about if two people narrated from him and he wasn't praised. So two people narrated from him. He's got two people narrating his hadith from him. But there's no praise for him in the books of hadith. 
hal is also known as mastur then the author now goes into one of the criticism of the the rawi min haythul adala the criticism that can be put on the narrator in terms of his integrity one of them was innovation right the innovation is two types imma bi mukaffirin a innovation that reaches the level of kufr ibn hajar is saying wa imma bi mufassiqin or a innovation that reaches fisq again fisq is al israru ala sagair wa irtikabul kabair fisq is consistency on minor sins or doing major sins that person is a fasiq okay innovation is one of these two the first one is never accepted the one who's bid'ah has reached kufr the scholars never accept that what about the one who's bid'ah reached fisq it's accepted as long as he's not calling to that innovation so the mubtadi' is two types a person who believes bid'ah in his, but he never comes out and he never talks about it. He keeps it to himself. No one's going to investigate him and ask him, what's your belief? What do you believe? Bring it out. No one asks him. If he wants to believe it, let him believe it. Is he talking about it? Is he propagating it? No. Because in Medina, there were munafiqeen with the Prophet and he never asked him, are you a munafiq? What do you believe? He never interrogated them. They just stayed with him. Khalas. But there's another one who comes out and he propagates his innovation and he calls the people to it. Ahlul Hadith, they accept They take his narrations. As for the one who calls his innovation, there's, there's an issue here now. He calls to his innovation. He calls to his innovation. Is it accepted? Some scholars, they said, yes. His narrations are accepted. As long as As long as it doesn't strengthen his innovation For example A Shi'i who's, who's, who's narrating hadith It strengthens his innovation huh? not, not all of them no, 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 no. Plus the The in the salaf Is not the tashayyu of today It's different today other things have come together. The person who calls to his innovation, can his narration be accepted? Some scholars say yes. And some scholars say no. The ones who say yes, it can be accepted. They said it's not accepted. If it strengthens his innovation. Al-Juzajani, Shaykh Imam Al-Nasai. Juzajani is the teacher of Imam Al-Nasai. He's, he's of the opinion that the innovators' in, in narrations are accepted. Um, even if he calls his innovation. 
شيخ السيبوي شيخ النسائي بليفزات جزء جاني نعم ثم سوء الحفظ كان لازما فالشاذ على الرأي أو طارئا فالمختلط Now we have a man whose memorization is bad فهو على نوعان أما فهي على نوعين There's two types of سوء الحفظ The سوء الحفظ The evil memorization The person whose memorization is very bad is two types The first one is it's lazimullahu. Always been like this. He's a person whose memorization was always bad. Fashadu is called shad. The one like in his memorization became bad. Fi awakhir hayatihi, mathalan, when he grew older, he started to mix up. Famukhtalat. His narrations are called ikhtilat. Ikhtalata. When he mixes up. This person like in, he wasn't always like this. He wasn't. It happened to him, maybe because of age, maybe because of stress, maybe because maybe he's muhtalab. Lakin, the one who's always been like this is called Shad. Naam. The author says, someone whose memorization is bad, and another person whose hadith is mursal. ومرسل منه الصحابي سقط وقل غريب ما روى راو فقط مرسل is what ما أسنده التابعي إلى رسول الله so we have a hadith where the person's memorization is bad one or it's a tabi'i who attributes something to the prophet means so there's انقطاع السند the chain of narration is disconnected or مدلس a مدلس is a what a person who يدلس في الحديث Narrates hadith mu'an'anun ka'an sa'idin karam wa mubhamun ma fihi rawin lam yusam. He narrates the hadith with an. So we have sayyul hifz. We have mursal, which is in qita'u sanad. Mudallas, which is also in qita'u sanad. All of those hadiths are da'if. Lakin, bimajmu'iha, when we bring them together, yuqawi ba'duha ba'da. It can strengthen one another and the hadith becomes hasanul lighayri. That's what the author is telling you. ثم الإسناد إما أن ينتهي إلى النبي تصريحا أو حكما من قوله أو فعله أو تقريره. The author now goes into the other type of خبر that we were talking about. The beginning, how many types did we say that the خبر is divided into? Two types. The first one was بإعتبار وصوله إلينا how the خبر reached us, and the second one was بإعتبار من أسند إليه who is this being attributed to? صح. So who did we say that the خبر can be attributed to? Allah Azza wa Jalla, this is called Hadith Al-Qudsi. What about if it's attributed to the Prophet? It's called what? Marfu'ah. The marfu'ah is two types. Write this down. The marfu'ah is two types. Marfu'ah which is sarih and a marfu'ah which is hukman. Marfu'ah which is sarih and a marfu'ah which is hukman. What does it mean, marfu'ah which is sarih or a marfu'ah which is hukman? A marfu'ah which is Sarih is when a Sahabi says, Qala Rasulullahi. Or when a Sahabi says, Kana Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Or, Fu'ila bi hadrati Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Kada wa kada. This is all Sarih. A Sahabi saying that the Prophet said, or the Prophet did this, or this was done in the presence of the Prophet and he allowed it. This is all Sarih, direct. The second type of marfu' is hukman. It's not direct, it's indirect. How? It's whatever a sahabi says 
and it is not it's not an issue that can be made based on opinion so a sahabi says something from the ghaybiyat from the unseen a sahabi he says something from the unseen and so the question here is how did a sahabi know the ilm ghayb he doesn't know the ilm ghayb the scholars they say this is marfu'u hukman he took this from the prophet hukman ruling wise is marfu'u Abdullah ibn Abbas talks about in the Qabr, this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to take place, and this, and this, and this. And he never says the Prophet said it. He just says it. He talks about it like that. We're going to say Ibn Abbas will not just make this up. Where could Ibn Abbas have got this from? So the scholars, they call this Mawqufu Lafdan Marfu'u Hukman. They say this hadith is Marfu'u Hukman, like in ruling wise. Unless he is a Sahabi known to have taken from the scripture of the Jews and the Christians, like Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, he read from the scripture of the, the Christians and the Jews, so sometimes he would quote things from the unseen, but he got it from there, he never got it from the Prophet. So his, his statements, they don't take hukmu, hukmu rafi Yeah. No, this is the Prophet talking about it himself. The Prophet saying it. So this is a revelation. We already know that. But we're saying a Sahabi is talking about the Qiyamah, the Sirat. It looks like this. And then Jannah is going to be like this. And the angels of the Jannah are this. And this is their name. And he talks about things that no ijtihad can bring this. Huh? This is purely scriptural. So where could he have got it? The scholars, they say, this is mawqufu, esor marfu'u, hukuman, na'am. Sahabi now, a Sahabi is um, whatever he says, what is it called? Or he says, or what he does, it's called mawquf. It's the second type. Sorry, it's the third type. He doesn't mention Hadith al-Qudsi because this is not in, he only mentioned the Prophet and the Sahabi. Whatever is attributed to a Sahabi is called what? Mawquf. The question here is, what is a Sahabi? Uh, what is a Sahabi? He gives you the, he gives you the definition, hey? Sahabi is the person who met the Prophet Write this down. A Sahabi is not the person who saw the Prophet. A Sahabi is the one who met the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Why do you say he met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Because some of the companions were blind, so you don't say the one, those who saw the Prophet. It's wrong to say saw the Prophet. Because of those who didn't see the Prophet, like Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum, he never saw the Prophet. So we say those who met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam. But when they met the Prophet, mu'minan bi. They met the Prophet whilst in the state of Iman. And then their meeting of the Prophet has to have been at a time when they had faith and belief of the Prophet So for instance, Abu Jahl met the Prophet, but he's not a Sahabi. Or Abu Lahab, he's not a Sahabi. He was a Mu'min. What about if the person met the Prophet, then the Prophet died, and then he believed. He's not a companion. 
the meeting and the belief of the Prophet have to be the same time. Also, Islam, he died upon Islam. He what? He died upon Islam. The reason is because being a Sahabi is a righteous deed. It's a righteous deed. Sahabi, it's a righteous deed. And if a person dies in other than Islam, all of the righteous deeds that he did, what will happen to it? Allah says that in Ashrakta, amaluk. So being a Sahabi will nullify, will go. You will no longer be a Sahabi. So he has to die upon Islam. But question, what about if he apostated and then he came back to Islam again before he died? He's a Sahabi. He's a what? He's a Sahabi. That's why the author said, Even if there was an apostasy at one period, it doesn't matter. As long as he dies upon Iman. And he dies upon Islam. This issue revolves around apostating. Does it lead to the nullifying of your righteous deeds straight away? Are we all together? Is a person who apostated, as soon as he apostates from Islam, does his righteous deeds nullify straight away? Or does it nullify when he dies upon disbelief? It, this issue revolves around the same argument. Okay? And from the Quranic discourse, we look at the Quran, it seems to be strong and more powerful that it's only when you what? Die. They died upon disbelief. It's not um, a person who uh, apostate. Well, it happened. Some of those people who did apostate, they did come back to Islam. Some of them apostated like Ash'at ibn Qais. He was a companion. He apostated for a bit and he came back again. Like the ones man'u zakat, the one who refused to pay the zakat and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu fought them. Huh? They came back. A lot of them came back to Islam. Naam. Huh? I don't know. Yeah, they're Sahabas now. Yeah, we're talking only about the Sahabas here. Yeah. Yeah. Sarih. Sarih. Sarih is in the Malamalu Biniyat. All the hadith that we took in Arba'un Nawi. Sarih means the Prophet clearly said it. The person is attributing it to the Prophet. The Sahabi is saying, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yujibu tayammunu fi tana'uli wa tarajuli wa tahuri wa fi sha'ni kulli. It's direct. This one, it doesn't, this one, the Sahabi is not attributing it to the Prophet. He's just talking about the unseen. There's no attribution here. He's just saying, the day of judgment, when the believers die, this, 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 this is going to happen to them. And the disbelievers, this, this, this is going to happen to them. Okay, question. How did you know this? The scholars, they say, he hasn't attributed it to the Prophet. But it will be given as though he attributed it to the Prophet. Hukman la sariha. It's not sariha. Does that make sense? No. أو إلى أو إلى تابعي وهو من لقي الصحابي كذلك. Now the tabi'i, what's attributed to the tabi'i is called a what? It's called a what? مقطوع. نعم. 
فالأول المرفوع والثاني الموقوف والثالث المقطوع ومن دون التابعي فيه مثله ويقول What about anybody other than the tabi'i? Tabi'u, tabi'i, and others. What do they call them? They also call them maqtu'u. That's what the author is saying. وَمَنْ دُونَ التَّابِعِي فِيهِ مِثْلُهُ It's the same. So tabi'u, tabi'u is called maqtu'u. That's what Ibn Hajar is saying. Huh? هذا سحنت everyone. The author here he says the last two are called the what? Athar. It's called a Athar. The last two, what does he mean? The Mawquf and the Maqtu' are called an Athar. And the one that came from the Prophet is called the what? Khabar. Ama Hadith. Are we all together? Then the word Athar means. الموقوف والمقطوع. Let's call them أثر. Again, these are not unanimously agreed upon. لكن he's saying that the موقوف and the مقطوع are called أثر. And the other one is called the خبر. What is attributed to the Prophet or a Hadith. نعم. والمسند مرفوع الصحابي بسند ظاهره الاتصال. مسند. What does it mean? We hear this word مسند. مسند has two usages. The one that Imam Muhammad used it in his book when he called it Musnad is not what the author is talking about here. The Musnad Imam Muhammad was talking about is every individual, his hadiths are brought in one place. Like Imam Muhammad, he brought all the hadiths of Ahmed Muhammad in one place, all the hadiths of Umar Khattab in one place, all of the Uthman like that chronologically. That's Musnad. That's not the one we're talking about here. The Musnad here is Marfu'ah. Any hadith that's attributed to the Prophet. And from the apparent, this hadith is connected. From the apparent. So it meets two criteria. It's marfu' and it's zahiru hatisal. And it has the apparent connection. Remember, we said there's two types of disconnections, right? Did we not? Apparent and hidden. The apparent one is met. Which is the four types. It can't be mu'allaq, it can't be mursal, it can't be mu'dal, and it can't be munqati'. But if it's mursal al-khafi or mudallis, no problem, still a musnad. By the way, this is not also agreed upon, but Ibn Hajar, this is what he chooses. Yeah? Naam. فَإِنْ قَلَّ عَدَدُهُ فَإِمَّا أَنْ يَنْتَهِيَ إِلَى النَّبِيِّ أَوْ إِلَى إِمَامِ هَذِي صِفَةِ الْعَلِيَّةِ كَشُعْبَةِ فالأول العلو المطلق والثاني النسبي وفيه الموافقة وهي الوصول إلى شيخ أحد المصنفين شيخ أحد المصنفين من غير طريقه وفيه البدل وهو الوصول إلى شيخ شيخه كذلك وفيه المساواة وهي استواء عدد الإسناد من الراوي إلى آخره مع إسناد أحد المصنفين وفيه المصافحة وهي الاستواء مع تلميذ ذلك المصنف ويقال ويقابل العلو بأقسامه النزول. Here the author is going into an issue known as العلو والنزول. العلو والنزول simplifying it for you guys. It's when the chain of the hadith is very short between the narrator and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Like the scholars of hadith they used to love to have their hadith very short. 
So they will try to find a way to get a short chain. And we tend to see that today as well. Some people say, I have ijaz in the Quran and my chain is very short. وَلِذَلِكَ Recently, Sahih Muslim. Sahih Ish? Sahih Muslim. One of the scholars who had the shortest chain was Shaykh Zahiruddin Al-Mubarakafuri, who died recently in India. He had the shortest chain in Sahih Muslim. So everyone in the world was going to him to get it from him. Are we all together? Because he took from the author of the kitab, Tuhfatul Ahwadi, directly. That was his student teacher. The Sharih of the kitab, Abu Ula Abdul Rahman Al Mubarakafuri, the Sharih of the kitab, Sunan Tirmidhi, was his teacher. And he took it from him directly. Who he, he himself took from Nadir Hussein Al Dihlawi. So the chain is very what? It's very short. So everybody was, was running around to take it from him. But then now it's become longer because he died. So this is called ulu, when the chain is very short. And then the nuzul is when it's long. Are we all together? When it's long, like there's a long chain. Meaning there's more people inside there. And that uh, ulu is types. And also the nuzul is also types. فَإِنْ تَشَارَكَ الرَّاوِعُونَ وَمَنْ رَوَى عَنْهُ فِي السِّنِّ وَاللُّقِيِّ فَهُوَ الْأَقْرَانِ What about if two people, they share the same teachers, or they are the same age, what are they called? They're called contemporaries, أَقْرَان. Two people, they took from the same shuyukh, the same teachers, or they are roughly the same age, they're called أَقْرَان. أَقْرَان means contemporaries. They're contemporary to each other. Are we all together? Al-Aqran Al-Aqran is Either they're the same age Or they, they took from the same shuyukhs They're called Aqran And this is very important Naam And if they narrate from one another The Aqran The two people with the level If they start to narrate from one another Then this, this is called Mudabbaj what about if someone who's high narrates from someone who's lower? So they're not they're not Aqran. They're not Aqran, meaning they're not contemporaries, but they narrate from one another. A student, uh, a teacher says to a student, Oh, by the way, you have a hadith I need. Can you give me this hadith? This is called the Riwayatul Akabiri Anil Asagir. Are we all together? Um, so this is very. But it's common for the teacher, student to always take from his teacher, right? But the scholars of hadith, if they knew they needed a hadith, they would narrate. Like Imam al Bukhari, what he did in one place in his Sahih, he narrated from his student, and Imam Tirmidhi. And Tirmidhi used to be happy. He said, Look, <laughs> Bukhari narrated from me. And, he, and I'm in his Sahih. Are we all together? And where they took that from is Riwayat al-Akabir anil asaghir Where they took it from is when the Prophet he told Abdullah ibn Mas'ud to read on him. And the Prophet then said, Inni uhibbu an asma'aha min ghayri. I love to hear it from other than myself. So from this they took Riwayat al-Akabir anil asaghir Naam. وَإِنِ اشْتَرَكَ اثْنَانِ عَنْ شَيْخٍ وَتَقَدَّمَ مَوْتُ أَحَدِهِمَا فَهُوَ السَّابِقُ وَاللَّاحِقُ Now what happened is two people they shared I uh, will stop inshallah ta'ala here for the salah we'll carry on after the, the salah now. if two people 
they took from one shaykh and one of them died before the other, then this is called a sabiq wal Two individuals. Two individuals, both of whom took from one shaykh. And one of them died before the other. This is called a sabiq and then a lahiq. Sabiq is the one who died first and a lahiq is the one who died after. Now. وَإِنْ رَوَى عَنْ اثْنَيْنِ مُتَّفِقَيْ الْإِسْمِ وَلَمْ يَتَمَيَّزَا فَبِاخْتِصَاصِهِ بِأَحَدِهِمَا يَتَبَيَّنُ الْمُهْمِلِ وَلَمْ يَتَمَيَّزَا فَبِاخْتِصَاصِهِ بِأَحَدِهِمَا وَلَمْ يَتَمَيَّزَا فَبِاخْتِصَاصِهِ بِأَحَدِهِمَا يَتَبَيَّنُ الْمُهْمِلِ مُهْمَلِ وَإِنْ رَوَى عَنْ اثْنَيْنِ If he narrates from two people both of whom's name are the same. And there is no way to know which one is which. How are we going to know which one is which? A narrator narrates from two, two teachers. Both of his teachers have the same name. The first and second name is the same. How do we know which one is which? They, he said that it will be known by which of them does he really narrate the most from. Every student... He's more closer to one teacher than the other. So the one he's most taking from, then that would be the one he is referring to here. Now. وَإِنْ جَحَدَ الشَّيْخُ مَرْوِيَهُ جَزْمَ الرُّدَّ أَوْ احْتِمَالًا قُبِلَ فِي الْأَصَحِ وَفِيهِ مَنْ حَدَّثَ وَنَسِيَ The author, وَإِنْ جَحَدَ مَرْوِيَهُ جَزْمًا there's a scholar, they say to him, you said this. And he says, I never said this. What are you guys talking about? I never said this. Rudda, it will be rejected. If an imam is asked, the Prophet sallallahu this said this, and you were the one who told us, and you took from so-and-so, and you, and he says, no, I never said this. Said, but you did, never. And he does it with emphasis, and he says, no. Then rudda. Is rejected. And what about if he says, mm, Did I say this? Really? No, really. I said this. And he's not sure, then he enters under the chapter of Man Haddatha wa Nasi, the one who narrates and forgot what he narrated. Two situations. He rejects the hadith, Jazman. I never said this. Rudda is rejected. And if he's He's not 100%. He's like, there's a possibility I might have not. There's a possibility I might have. Then, it enters under the chapter known as Man Haddatha Wa Nasiyah. The one who narrated and he forgot what he narrated. And one of the best books that are written in this um, is a kitab written by Khatib al-Baghdadi and then after him, Ibn al-Jawzi and Suyuti, Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, he summarized that and he called it Tadkiratul Mutaassi fi man haddatha wa nasi. Suyuti has a risala like that. And the tahqiq is As-subhi as-samur ra'i. His tahqiq is the best. Naam. Wa in intafaqar ruwaad fi siyghi al-adai yaw ghayriha min al-halati fa huwa al-musalsal. The narrators all agree on the way that they narrate the hadith. And we took this, which is known as Musalsal. Musalsal, قُلْ مَا عَلَى وَصْفٍ أَتَى مِثْلُ أَمَا وَاللَّهِ أَنْبَانِ الْفَتَى 
كذاك قد حدثنيه قائما أو بعد أن حدثني تبسما When all of the narrators they do the same thing through the whole entire narration and an example for that is when the Prophet ﷺ narrated a hadith and he laughed and when he laughed he said to the companions will you not ask me why I laughed and they said oh Messenger of Allah why did you laugh and he said because Allah laughed and then the Sahabi when he narrated the hadith he said to the companions why don't you guys ask me why I'm laughing and they said, why were you laughing? And he said, because the Prophet, when he told us, he was laughing. And everyone says that in the hadith. This is called what? Musalsal. Musalsal is when all of the narrators do the same thing in the hadith. Naam. And a lot of the times, these musalsalat generally don't become sahih. From one of the most famous musalsal is the hadith, Ar-Rahimuna yarhamuhumur rahman irhamu man fil ardi yarhamukum man fil sama. This hadith it's from the hadith which are musalsal, which is that every imam narrated this hadith as the first thing. It's called al-hadith al-awwaliyyah. When a person comes to them, they narrate this hadith for them. Ar-Rahimuna yarhamuhum ar-Rahman. Irhamuhum man fil ardi, irhamukum man fil sama. They do that. Walidhalik, you find our shaykh, Shaykh Salih ibn Abdullah ibn Hamid al-Usaymi, he does that in every book that he explains. He puts his hadith first because he says it's musalsal. وصيغ الأداء سمعت وحدثني ثم أخبرني وقرأت عليه ثم قرأ عليه ثم قرأ عليه وأنا أسمع ثم أنبأني ثم ناولني ثم شافهني ثم كتب إلي ثم كتب إلي ثم عنونحوها. The author now goes into what is known as صيغ الأداء. How do you take hadiths? How are the hadiths transmitted? Here are the ways which the hadith are transmitted. And the author put it in order of the strength. The first one is Samir'tu Ayad. وَحَدَّثَنِي ثُمَّ أَخْبَرَنِي وَقَرَأْتُ عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ قُرِئَ عَلَيْهِ وَأَنَا أَسْمَعُ ثُمَّ أَنْبَأَنِي ثُمَّ نَاوَلَنِي ثُمَّ شَافَهَنِي ثُمَّ كَتَبَ إِلَيَّ ثُمَّ عَنْ And عَنْ is the last. And the highest is what? Samir'tu. This is the order of how they transmit the hadith. And all of the translation is written for you. Naam. فالأولان لمن سمع وحده من لفظ الشيخ فإن جمع فمع غيره وأولها أصرحها وأرفعها في الإملاء نعم والثالث والرابع لمن قرأ بنفسه فإن جمع فهو كالخامس والإنباء بمعنى الإخبار إلا في عرف المتأخرين فهو للإجازة كعن وعنعنت المعاصر محمولة على السماع إلا من المدلس وقيل يشترط ثبوت لقائهما ولو مرة وهو المختار The author goes into another masala known as معنعنة المعاصر Two people live at the same time and they narrate from each other with the word عن Is it accepted? Because remember we said yesterday عن means from and it doesn't show that there is a direct transmission between these two individuals. What do we do here? Ibn Hajar is saying, المعاصر, If two people live at the same time, We will say that they heard from one another. They lived at the same time. And he uses the word عن. Then we will take it and we will accept it. Okay? 
who consider it like they both heard it from each other. Unless he's a mudallis. If it's a mudallis, then no, we won't take it. Mudallis is the person who drops people out. And then he goes, but some scholars, they said it's not enough that they live at the same time. Uh-huh, no. Some scholars, they are not going to accept the hadith just because they lived at the same time. They want to know that these two people met each other even once. And this is the condition of who? Al-Imam al-Bukhari. And the first condition is who? Al-Imam al-Muslim. Naam. وأطلق المشافهة في الإجازة المتلفظ بها والمكاتبة في الإجازة المكتوب بها واشترطوا في صحة المناولة قترانها بالإذن بالرواية وهي أرفع أنواع الإجازة وكذا اشترطوا الإذن في الوجادة والوصية بالكتاب والإعلام وإلا فلا عبرة بذلك كالإجازة العامة وللمجهول وللمعدوم على الأصح في جميع ذلك ثم الرواه إن اتفقت أسماءهم وأسماء آبائهم فصاعدا فصاعدا واختلفت أشخاصهم فهو المتفق والمفترق Two people have the same name Their father and their name Their father's name and their name are both the same But they're two different people This is called متفق والمفترق Khatib al-Baghdadi has a kitab on that. He has written a, a book um, which he wrote in this field. The narrators who are, they have the same father, uh, their name and their father's name is, name is the same. They have the same name, their father and their name is the same. But they're two different people. It's called Al-Muttafiq Wal-Muftariq. Naam. وإن اتفقت الأسماء خطا واختلفت نطقا فهو المؤتلف والمختلف The second one is the name is the same in terms of the writing but the pronunciation is different uh, The way that it's written is the same but the pronunciation is different What is, this, what is the situation here? The situation here is it's called المؤتلف والمختلف نعم وإن اتفقت الأسماء واختلفت الآباء وبالعكس فهو المتشابه وكذا إن وقع ذلك الاتفاق في اسم واسم أبي والاختلاف في النسبة ويتركب منه مما قبله أنواع منها أن يحصل الاتفاق أو الاشتباه إلا في حرف أو حرفين أو بالتقديم والتأخير ونحو ذلك Narrators whose names are very similar their, their name, their parents' name, or their names are different. These are things that the scholars of hadith love to give a lot of attention to. Distinguishing one from the other is very important for them. Because you might keep thinking this is the same person that's keep coming back when it isn't really the case. So they want to know that if you and this person, you have the same name, okay. Like Ahmed ibn Salih, for example. I'm a Khalil ibn Ahmed. Khalil ibn Ahmed, there are six people who are called Khalil ibn Ahmed. The most famous one is who? Shaykh Usibawi. Khalil Muhammad al-Farahid is the most famous one. Six are the same. Dakin. How do you know which one is which? Scholars of Hadith, they focus on this. They will look into this deeply and make sure that there is no confusion here. Naam. Khatimah. Wa min al-muhimmi ma'rifat tabaqat al-ruwati wa mawaliyadihim wa fayatihim wa buldanihim wa ahwalihim. وأحوالهم تعديلا وتجريحا وجهالا 
He said it's very important to know the narrators, their levels. Knowing the narrators, where they were born and where they died, and their villages and towns and their situation. What kind of people were they? You need to know whether they were, whether they were praised or criticized, whether they were known or unknown. Ilm al hadith, you have to give a lot of attention to this. Naam. وَمَرَاتِبِ الْجَرْحِ وَأَسْوَاهَا الْوَصْفُ بِأَفْعَالِ كَأَكْذَابُ النَّاسِ ثُمَّ دَجَّالٌ أَوْ وَضَّاعٌ أَوْ كَذَّابٌ وَأَسْهَلُهَا لَيِّنٌ أَوْ سَيِّئُ الْحِظِّ أَوْ فِيهِ أَدْنَى مَقَالِ The author here, he talks about the levels of criticism. Scholars of hadith, when they criticize in the books of criticism, you go there, you're going to find somebody's being criticized. What's the worst form of criticism? The worst is the ones that come in على وزن أفعال. For example, if they say, أَكْذَبُ النَّاسِ that's very, that is very bad. Then after that is the one that they call Dajjal. If they call him narrator Dajjal, then this is also criticism. But it's lower than Akhtabun Nas. Dajjal is lower. You can imagine how they're bad. Dajjal is less, second. The first one is Akhtabun Nas, the, the, the biggest liar. The biggest liar, like there's no one bigger than him in lying. It's a superlative. Af'al. Dajjal means, um, Dajjal originally comes from the one who's deceptive. Are we all together? Al-Imam Malik was one of the first people to use it. There was a man he was speaking about, he said, Dajjal min al-Dajajila. So the narrator said, I never ever knew the plural of the word Dajjal was Dajajila until I heard it from Imam Malik. Huh? So the scholar of Hadith, he said, I heard it from Malik calling this man Dajjalun min Dajajila. He's a Dajjal from the Dajjals that exist. He's one of them. So the word Dajjal is a, is a, is a term they use in Ilm Hadith. Oh, Wadda'ah. Wadda'ah means a fabricator. Kadhab, a liar. Okay? The lowest of the criticism, the lowest is when they say layyunun. Layyunun means this person is layy and soft. Oh, say you have, or his memorization is bad. Oh, fihi maqal. Oh, there's a statement in this individual. There's fihi maqal. There's a look to him. Walidarika, these statements of the scholars of hadith about the narrators is not considered backbiting. It doesn't fall under backbiting. Rather, it falls under, if we say it is backbiting, the permissible backbiting. Are we all together? Go, go to the kitab Riyadh al-Salihin. Huh? You all know Riyadh al-Salihin, right? Who wrote Riyadh al-Salihin? Yeah? Al-Imam al-Nawi. There's a chapter in Riyadh al-Salihin called Babu ma yubahu min al-ghiba. The chapter is called the chapter of what type of backbiting is allowed. No, he did that. He wrote a chapter called Babu Ma Yubahu Min Al Ghiba and he brought six times when it's permissible to backbite. Okay? Six times when backbiting is permissible. From them is um, uh, in a court, courtroom. If a man and a husband are complaining about one another, it's backbiting. So what was the definition of backbiting? It's to say about your brother what he dislikes. That's backbiting. Are we all together? Backbiting according to the Prophet's definition. He said, It's to say about your brother what you dis 
is what he dislikes. He doesn't like it. You're saying something about him. Six times you can say about your brother what he dislikes. No problem. One of them is when you're in front of a courtroom and you want to complain about someone, you're going to say about them what they don't like, right? A wife and a husband. Also, um, the backbiting of the ulama al-jarh ta'adil, the scholars of hadith. What they say about the narrator, dajjalun. Is the, who likes to be called dajjal? Kathabun, akthabun nas, layyunun, sayyul hifd. All of these are not something a person would be pleased with. But this was done, siyanat al-shari'ah. It was done to protect the religion. Okay? That's the levels of criticism. What about the levels of praise? Like, what's the highest level of praising someone, hey? The levels of praises is, for example, when they say, Oh, the most reliable person. That's the highest. Or if they say, a second. A second. Number three is um, if they say, for example, Shaykh. Shaykh is what? Is the lowest form of praise. Calling someone Shaykh is the lowest form of praising them, according to the scholars of Hadith. وتقبل التزكيه من عارف باسبابها ولو من واحد على الاصح والجرح مقدم على التعديل ان صدر مبينا من عارف باسبابه فان خلا عن التعديل قبل مجملا على المختار وتقبل التزكيه من عارف باسبابها ولو من واحد على الاصح someone who knows this science of praising if he praises you it will be accepted one person it'll be accepted the praise. What about the criticism? Someone is being praised and someone's being criticized. There's praise and there's criticism. Which one goes first? The criticism takes precedence over the praise. So there's an imam here praising him. And there's another imam criticizing him. The criticism one will be taken over the one who's praising him. Okay? But... The person who's doing it can't be It can't be everybody. It has to be a person, Ibn Hajar is saying, someone who knows the what? The science. I.e. he has to be an alim, a scholar. can't be any individual. Okay? What about if this person has no praise? Oh, by the way, if the person is being praised, the criticism that's going to be accepted has to be mufassar. Mufassar means detailed criticism. He has to give a reason why. He can't just say, no. He has to say, why, why? This man has praise. Why are you criticizing him for? Methelen. What about if the person doesn't even have no praise? He has no praise from anyone. The criticism that's accepted doesn't have to be detailed. That's what Ibn Hajar said. Okay, the criticism can be what general, because there's no praise that's there. Now, ومعرفة كن المسمين وأسماء المكنين ومن اسمه كنيته ومن اختلف في كنيته ومن كثرت كناه ونعوته ومن وافقت كنيته 
ومن وافقت ومن وافقت كنيته اسم أبيه أو العكس أو كنيته كنية زوجته ومن نسب إلى غير أبيه أو إلى أمه أو إلى غير ما يسبق للفهم ومن اتفق اسمه واسم أبيه واسم أبيه وجده أو اسم شيخه وشيخ شيخه فصاعدا ومن اتفق اسم شيخه والراوي عنه The author here, he goes that we should know, it's important to know the kunya of some people, the scholars. Like if he's got a kunya, he should know his kunya and his name. Um, we also need to know who his kunya is his name. Or a person who has more than one kunya. Or the person who has more than one description that he's known for. Meaning he's given many different names. We should know all of that. So here what he's talking about is what we should know in the science of authenticating and weakening narrations. What type of people we need to know. So inshallah ta'ala we'll just go over this one fast. You can all look at the translation inshallah ta'ala. It's clear there. Hiya. ومعرفة الأسماء المجردة والمفردة وكذا الكنا والألقاب والأنساب وتقع إلى القبائل والأوطان بلادا أو ضياعا أو سككا أو مجاورة أو مجاورة وإلى الصناع والحرف ويقع فيها الاتفاق والاشتباه كالأسماء وقد تقع ألقابا ومعرفة أسباب ذلك ومعرفة الموالي من أعلى ومن أسفل بالرق أو بالحلف ومعرفة الإخوة والأخوات ومعرفة آداب الشيخ والطالب. This here, here he moves away from what you need to know about the narrators. Okay, and there's books written on that, by the way. The books that are written about the narrators are two types. Books that are generally about all the narrators unrestrictedly. Okay, they're just written generally. All the all the narrators are just in there. You can find them, like Sir Alaminubala by Imam Dhabi. If you go there, you find all the narrators, generally speaking, they're there. And that's a general book you can go to, and you find the narrators there. There's another type of books, or the second type of books that are written about the narrators are those who are specific to a group of narrators only. They don't, not every narrator is in there. They've only conditioned, for example, Kutub Sitta. The six books of hadith, the narrators that are in there, they're only going to bring them in here. Like the Kitab Al-Kamal Fi Ma'rifat Al-Rijal by Abdul Ghani ibn Abdul Wahid Al-Maqdisi and then it got summarized by Abu Al-Hajjaj Al-Mizzi, Tahdib Al-Kamal. And then after that, it got summarized by Mughalatai and then it got summarized by Dhabi himself and then it got summarized by Dhabi again and then Ibn Hajar came and he summarized and summarized, and summarized until it became At-Taqrib which is one volume now. And originally is what? 25 volumes it came from. So you got summarized into one. This is the narrators of Kutub Sitta only. Bukhari, Muslim, Abi Dawood, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majid, and Nasai. And the books of any of those Imams. Like the narrators that are in any book written by Bukhari. For example, Adab al Mufrad, um, the Juz in Raf'ul Yadain, all the narrators that are in there, here they bring it here. Or Khalqu Af'ali al Ibad, they bring it here. So these six Imams and their books. Anywhere they narrated from, they're here. So if I want to know Bukhari, all of the men that are in there, the chain, who, who they are, where were they born, where did they die, who did, what was said about them, what the praise, the criticism, I go to that book and I find it. That book is specific to the six books. Uh, sorry, the six imams of those books, their works. Okay? Their works. Because 
Bukhari's, got other books. Those narrators are also in there as well. Okay? So, you go there and you benefit from it. You look at it, you observe the chain, you look at it again, okay? You write down the narrators and this helps you to weaken and strengthen. And of course, there are other things that are involved as well. Also, what you need to know is Adabu Shaykhi wa Talib, the manners of the teacher and the manner of the students. Scholars have written books on that. One of the greatest books that are written uh, are two great books. Two great books are written on the manners of the student and the teacher in the science of hadith. And that is the Kitab Jami' Akhlaq al Rawi Adab al-Sami' written by Khatib al-Baghdadi. Okay? And the second one is Jami' Bayan al-Ilmi wa Fadli by Ibn Abdul Bar. Hafid al-Mashriq wal-Maghrib. Both of whom they wrote about Adab al-Shaykh wal-Talib. The manners and the ethics of the student and the teacher. Naam. والسن التحمل والأداء وصفة كتابة الحديث وعرضه وسماعه وسماعه وإسماعه والرحلة فيه. The author رحمه الله هي he mentions سن التحمل والأداء. You need to know when can you, when can a person's narration be accepted. How how young can be a person be for him to actually even narrate a hadith? And how um, uh, how do how do they take those narrations and pass it on? That's, there's, there's, there's books written on that. Okay. Also, how do you write hadith? There's books on it, brothers. How to write the hadith? And the scholars of hadith, they sp- spoke about it. Even though now the time has changed a bit and things have now become different and how they are. But these scholars have writ- spoken about how to write the hadith. Are we all together, brothers? Naam. You need to know the tasanif, the books of hadith, how they're written. Some of the books that are written in hadith are masanid, musnad. Some of them are called jami' like Bukhari and Muslim. And Tirmidhi is one, they're called jami' and musnad, musnad al-tayalisi, and musnad imam Ahmad, and musnad al-darimi. We all together. And then you have sunan, books that are called sunan. What do they mean? Sunan bi Dawood. Sunani and Nasai and Sunan ibn Majah. And then you have Juz Ajza, which is Juz Firaf al Yadayna, Juz Fi Kiraati Surah al Fatiha, Juz. And you also have Ataraf written by the scholars of Hadith. So, what are these names that they named all their books? There's Kutub al Ilal, like the Ilal of Imam Dar Qutni and others. Why? What are these names? You need to know this, he's saying. So when you're reading a book, you know why they call this book Jami' and why they call this book Sunan and why they call this book a Musnad and why they call this book a Muatta and why they call this book uh, a Juz and why they call this book a Taraf. Are you with me? Why? What's, what's the, um, what is the reason for that? And why did they do that? Naam. فتراجح لها مبسوطاتها والله الموفق والهادي لا إله إلا هو. and also knowing معرفة السبب الحديث the reason for the hadiths 
There's a kitab written called Jam'u al-Latif al-Asbab al-Wurud al-Hadith al-Sharif. Like the Quran, what does it have? Sabab al-Nuzul, right? The Hadith, they have what? Sabab al-Wurud. The Quran has Sabab al-Nuzul. The Hadiths have Sabab al-Wurud. Why did this Hadith come? What was the context in which this Hadith came in? Abu Ya'la ibn al-Farra, he wrote a kitab on that. And it's published. And they are all there. And we'll stop there, inshallah ta'ala, for the, uh, we, will, we will conclude here the kitab Nuzhatul Nadar fi Mustalahi Ahl al-Athar by Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani. Now we're going to go into the kitab al-Waraqat by al-Imam Abi Ma'ali al-Juwayni rahimahullahu ta'ala. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, lahu alhamdul hasan, wa thanau al-jameen, wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah, wa ashadu anna sayyidina wa nabiyina Muhammad, صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إن شاء الله تعالى we're going to be starting this kitab uh, it's called Al-Waraqat and the author called it Al-Waraqat because it's only pages Waraqat, pages he wants to make you understand that it's only pages and Al-Waraqat brothers it's in a science called Usul Al-Fiqh What we've just done right now is we've taken the science called Mustalahul Hadith. Anyone who wants to use a evidence in the religion, there are two things that are needed from you. Do you want to use evidence in the religion? Two things are needed from you. The first condition is the authenticity of your evidence. Is it sahih or is it da'if? That is Mustalahul Hadith. You'll know that by studying the books of Mustalah. And the second condition is, how do you derive the ruling from this evidence that you have now? You've, the first condition is met, you have a hadith which is sahih. Good. How do you then take that hadith and extract from it and bring from it evidences? How do you utilize this hadith? The science that deals with it is called what? Yeah, Usul al-Fiqh. Is this subject that we're studying right now? Usul al-Fiqh deals with that. So these two sciences, the science that we just done before this one, Nukbatul Fikr and Al-Waraqat are very important. Just because you know the hadith is sahih or da'if, it doesn't mean you can take benefit out of the hadith. There's a science for that. You don't want to be like the man who said, you can celebrate the Prophet's birthday. What's the evidence? أَفَلَا يَنظُرُونَ إِلَى الْإِبِلِ كَيْفَ خُلِقَتْ أَفَلَا يَنظُرُونَ إِلَى الْإِبِلِ كَيْفَ خُلِقَتْ did he bring out authentic evidence? Is his evidence authentic? Of course it is. It's an ayah in Kitabillah. It's an ayah from the Quran. But is his evidence used accordingly? Did he use it in the right place? Because the ayah is talking about why do you not look at the way that the camel is created and how Allah created the camel? What does that have to do with the point of discussion? It doesn't. So this person will say he's lacking usulul fiqh. He doesn't know how to use evidences. Are we all together, brothers? So that's how, why this science is very important. It's very important. And this science, the first person who authored a book in this science as a subject that is called usulul fiqh. By the way, it existed before this imam. I mean, it existed naturally. Just like grammar, Arabic grammar existed naturally. People used to just talk and not get a mistake in their Arabic. It was all good. Okay? But then when they 
Muslims all started to come from all over the world and take Islam. Muslims came from Africa and they said, Ashadu la ilaha illallah. And then the Muslims from India came and they said, Ashadu la ilaha illallah. And then the Muslims of Europe came and they said, Ashadu la ilaha illallah. And everyone came to the Muslim world. People's Arabic wasn't good. And so the one who came from Africa, his Arabic was African Arabic. And the one that came from India, his, India, his, English, his Arabic was Indian Arabic. And the one that came from Europe, his Arabic was what? European Arabic. And then it became what? So principles had to be made. Say, look, that's not how you speak here. And that's all of that was made. But before that, they had it naturally. Okay? They had it what? Naturally. But as a subject that it was a subject now and it had to be studied, the first person who did it in Usul al-Fiqh is Imam al-Shafi'i. The first person who wrote this science, Usul al-Fiqh, is Imam al-Shafi'i. That's why the, the poet, he said, وَأَوَّلُ مَنْ صَنَّفَ فِي الصَّحِيحِ مُحَمَّدٌ وَخُصَّ بِالتَّرْجِيحِ وَمُسْلِمٌ No. وَأَوَّلُ مَنْ أَلَّفَ فِي الْكُتْبِ مُحَمَّدِ بْنُ شَافِعِ الْمُطَّلِبِ the first person who had it written as a science was Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i. Imam al-Shafi'i. He put it out. He wrote it first. And then after him, the people all came and they started to write. Everyone started to write in the science. Until we got this book today called Al-Waraqat came about. Now talking about the history of how it all came, it's going to be too long. We did it, I think, five weeks in our module, in our essentials, ah, the history of Usul al-Fiqh and how it came about. So it's not something we can finish in. We can't finish it in this whole Dora, the history of Usul al-Fiqh and how it evolved and the books that were written in it and how each book is written. But what you need to know is it started from where? From the book Al-Risala by Imam Shafi'i, he called it Al-Risala, till this book, to, 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 to this book that we have today. Okay? So this is a Usul al-Fiqh book, very small. It's called a what? This book is called what? Waraqat. Waraqat means pages. Why did he call it pages? So you don't feel like you're studying a big book. It's just pages. Just a couple of pages. Are we all together, brothers? Let's start, inshallah, ta'ala. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Qal al-musannif rahimahullah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. وبعد فهذه ورقات تشتمل على معرفة فصول من أصول الفقه وهو مؤلف من جزئين مفردين أحدهما الأصول والآخر الفقه فالأصل ما ينبني عليه غيره والفرع ما يبنى على غيره والفقه معرفة الأحكام الشرعية التي طريقها الاجتهاد The author رحمه الله started his book number one by saying بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم and there's a dispute in that anyways some of the copies don't have that does your, your copy have the basmala uh, some of the tabaat, some of the publication of the book don't have the bismillah in there. So it's a dispute whether he even said the bismillah. Because some of the manuscripts, there's no bismillah. And some of the manuscripts, there are. Okay? 
But the one we have says Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The second thing he said is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin, which is to send praise to Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. The third thing that he said was As-Salatu ala Muhammadin Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sunday salutation on who? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his family and his companions. Three things. The Basmala, the Hamdala, and the Salah and the Salam. These three we said are what? They are known as Adabu Tasneef, the manners of authorship. If you want to author a book, Bismillah, and then the Hamdala, and then As-Salah, and the Salam. Some people they just say, Sallallahu Alaihi. That's not enough. Wasallam is needed because Allah said, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. Salah and Salam, both. That's what the Prophet gets, alayhi salatu salam. Then the author, rahimahullah, he said, فَهَذِي وَرَقَاتٌ تَشْتَمِلُ عَلَى مَعْرِفَةُ فُصُولٍ مِنْ أُصُولِ الْفِقِيِّ وَرَقَاتٌ Why did he call it ورقات? Pages. تَرْغِيبًا He wants to bring your heart close and say, Oh, is it only pages? Okay, let me read it. But if he says to you volumes, you're going to be like, Yeah, this is long. So it's تَرْغِيبًا فِي تَلَقِّيهِ وَتَسْهِيلًا عَلَى مُتَلَقِّيهِ And by the way, scholars, they used to do that. They used to give their books names that make the student want to read it. Riyadhu Salihin. Riyadh means what? Gardens. Sah? Bustanul Arifin. The garden of those who know. Names like that, the scholars would give it to their books. So that gardens and greenery. This is something the ulama, their books for them, it was like that. They loved their works and their books and their reading. So it's encouraged to bring people's heart close like that. He said, in my book, I'm just going to have some chapters of Usulul Fiqh. Not all of it, some chapters. Okay? Because the word he used here is Min Usulul Fiqh. Min here means Ba'd. Some. So this book is not going to have all of, the, all of the subjects and the topics of Usulul Fiqh. It's not all going to be in here because it's a beginner book. You're not going to study everything in there. Now, the author said, okay, you know what? Since this is usul al-fiqh, what does usul al-fiqh mean? Sah? What does it mean? Like, what does it actually mean? So he's going to define it for you. And the way he's going to define it is in two ways. He's going to define usul by itself and fiqh by itself, and that's number one. And then he comes back to it again, and he defines it both together, what it means. Does that make sense? The poet he said, I can't remember it. If, the, if it's two words that come together, usul and fiqh, and qawa'id and fiqhiyas, like, like, like that, it becomes two. The scholars of hadith, what they do is, they, div- they define each one separately first. So usul by itself, and then fiqh by itself. And then what they do is, they go back to it again, and they define it together. Are we all together? So let's define it now. Usul, what does it mean? 
Usul is plural. Usul is a plural word. The singular is what? Asal. The author mentioned it here for you. What's the, what's the asal? The first one is asal. The plural is usul and the singular is asal. Asal is what? Ma yubna alihi ghayruhu. Asal is the foundation. It's whatever things are built upon. Asah. Now the author, what he did was istidrat. He went off topic again. Abu Ma'ali al went off topic. What did he do? He defined usul for you and then he went to the word farah. Why did he define farah for us? We just wanted to know what usul means and then what fiqh means and then we can go to usul al-fiqh together. Sah? Am I making sense? Usul, what does it mean? We'll define it in two ways. The word usul. In two ways we're going to define it. Linguistically, in the Arabic language, what does the word usul mean? And then we're going to define it, what does it mean in the sharia? Or what does it mean according to the scholars of the Islamic scholars? Okay? Linguistically, the word usul means ma yubna alayhi ghayruhu. It's whatever everything is built upon. Sah? It's whatever everything is built upon. What is, that? what is that called? That's what it means in the Arabic language. That's what Allah said in the Quran. Alam tara kayfa daraballahu mathalain kalimatan tayyibatan kashajaratin tayyibah kashajaratin tayyibatin asluha thabitun wa faru'uha fi sama asluha thabit. Asl here means foundation. Sah? The second meaning, uh, the, the, what about the technical meaning? The word asal. The technical meaning has four. The technical meaning is four. Second. The asal, the definition of asal, we said linguistically it means ma yubna alayhi ghayruhu. What does it technically mean? Four meanings. Four meanings, right? The first meaning is a delil, evidence. The second one is al-qa'idatul mustamirra, the ongoing principle. So the first one is evidence. The word asal is sometimes used as evidence. What do I mean by evidence? The word asal means evidence. So they say, for example, asl wujub as-siyam. The asal 
I mean, the evidence that fasting is obligatory is the second type meaning that the word asal can mean is al-qa'idatul mustamirra the ongoing principle is used as asal for example the permissibility of eating corpse for the one who is in a state of necessity what does it mean? It's in opposition to the ongoing principle. What was the ongoing principle? That you can't eat dead animals, right? Can you eat dead animals which haven't been slaughtered? You can't. But what about for the one who is in a state of necessity? Can he? That's khilaf al-asli. khilaf al-asli? It's in opposition to the consistent principle which is that you couldn't eat it, it goes against that. Number three is Al-Maqisu Alayhi. Al-Maqisu Alayhi means one of the four pillars of Qiyas is Asal. One of the four pillars of analogy, Qiyas is Asal. Are we all together? One of the four pillars. Qiyas, you all know what Qiyas means, right? Qiyas is analogy, analogy, when you compare two things. Okay, let me give you an example. Is Khamar Haram? Yeah. Is khamar, khamar haram? Okay. Is drugs haram? Huh? Hey, what's the evidence that drugs are haram? You're going to use the evidences that you got for the khamar, right? Either the khamar is the asal. The asal you're using. And you're going to do qiyas for it, for the drug. Does that make sense? So qiyas, one of its pillars... One of its pillars is Asal. So Al-Maqisu Ali. And number four, Al-Maqisu Alayhi, the thing that you're doing the Qiyas from, which is the Khamar, right? We're doing the Qiyas from that. Sah? And the fourth one is the homework for you guys, inshallah. I said four, right? The asal is used as four, four meanings, right? That's actually ten, by the way. It's actually ten. I won't make it hard for you. Just bring me the fourth one, inshallah, tomorrow. Okay, the author then went to the word al-farah. Yeah? You didn't hear the fourth one? I said the fourth one's homework. The fourth one is homework. <laughs> uh, I didn't say the fourth one. I said, you guys have to do the fourth one. Bring it to me tomorrow. The fourth meaning that the word asal is used for. <laughs> okay. The farah is what? The author spoke about asal, then he went to farah. Why did he come to farah when we, does, we weren't even talking about farah? Because it's the opposite of asal. He thought, you know what, maybe I might as well mention that. Because the opposite sometimes makes you understand what the meaning of the word is, right? For example, if someone asked you, what does the word tall mean? And you said, I never heard of that. And he said, it's the opposite of sure. And you're like, oh, okay. Are we all together? So sometimes the opposite gives you the understanding of something, right? Uh, so that's why he brought the word al-farah here. Good. So al-farah is ma yubna alayhi ghayru. It's whatever farah is, the things that are built upon. Uh, the things that are being built on. The thing that's on the base is the asal. And this is the farah. Sah? 
for like sub branches. Fiqh is what? We studied, we did, we did the word asal right now, sah? Usul. Now we're going to go to the word fiqh. Fiqh, we're going to define it in the Arabic language and according to the scholars as well. The same thing, same thing. The word fiqh in the Arabic language is al-fahmu. Sah? It means al-fahmu. And that's what Allah tabarak wa ta'ala said in the Quran. رَبِّ شْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْعُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي أي يَفْهَمُ قَوْلِي Also Allah said in another ayah فَمَا لِهَاُولَاءِ الْقَوْمِ لَا يَكَادُونَ يَفْقَهُونَ حَدِيثًا صَحْحًا يَفْقَهُونَ قَوْلًا يَفْقَهُونَ يَفْقَهُونَ means أي يَفْهَمُونَ So the word fiqh means فهم Understanding, comprehension Also the famous hadith مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا Anyone who Allah wants for them. Huh? Anyone. Allah wants good for them. What does He give them? Allah gives them fiqh of the religion. Huh? Fiqh means fahm, understanding of the religion. Now we learned what the word fiqh means in what? In the Arabic language. The Arabs used to use this word fiqh before Islam came. That's what it meant to them. It meant al-fahmu. Like in some scholars, they said that the word fiqh and fahm are not, they're not the same. No, no. Hey, what's the difference? They said the difference is that fiqh is more of a detailed understanding. Does that make sense? Like, it's not just mere understanding. Like, for example, the Arabs will never say, فَقِهْتُ أَنَّ السَّمَاءَ فَوْقَنَا I have fiqh that the sky is above us. Because it's general knowledge. Everyone understands that the sky is above us. So you don't use the word fiqh here, you use the word fahm. And that fiqh is for whatever you have to think about and you have to contemplate and ponder. That's what some scholars, they said. So they like saying, when they define fiqh in the language, they say, وَالْفِقْهُ فِي اللُّغَةِ فَهْمٌ That's a side point. Abu Hilal al-Askari mentions it in his Kitab al-Furuq. Now we're going to go into the word fiqh technically. What does the word fiqh technically mean? It means ma'rifatul ahkam al-shar'iyyatul amaliyya al-muktasabah min adillatiha tafsiliyya. You guys got that now? It's ma'rifatul ahkam al-shar'iyyatul amaliyya al-muktasabah min adillatiha tafsiliyya. Let me break that down. Fiqh means technically. Technically, according to the scholars, it means, write it down, knowing, let's take the definition of the author, let's, why forget my definition I gave, look at the definition of the author, what was his definition that he said in English, yeah, he said it, وَالْفِقُّ مَعْرِفَةُ الْحَكَامَ الشَّرْعِيَةِ الَّتِي طَرِيقُ الْإِجْتِهَادِ, صح, صح, Hey, what does it say in English translation? Yeah? Write that, write that down. It's knowing the jurisprudent rulings by way of independent reasoning. Huh? 
So it's three things, underline it. Three things he said to you. The first one is knowing, Understand, underline that. Knowing. So I just underline. What's, what's the first point? Knowledge. Just write, underline the word knowledge. Hey, that's the first point. Hey, what's the second part? Huh? No, no, no. I want the English, English. Of the ruling of the Sharia. That's part two. Of the ruling of the Sharia in English. Underline that second part. And then last but not least is what? By way of independent reasoning. Underline that as well. Those are the three points which fiqh revolves around. Okay? Are you there? Are you, we all on the same page? Why do I feel like I'm talking to myself? Okay, we're all on the same page. Everyone on the same page? What page am I on? Hey, <laughs> carry on. Hey, Abdul Samad. Read it for us, inshallah. الواجب <laughs> The author, rahimahullah, he did something right now. What he did was, when he defined for you fiqh, the definition of fiqh, how many things did I say the definition of fiqh had? Three things. What was the first thing? Knowledge. Knowledge. Okay, the second thing was what? What is the ruling of the sharia? He tells you that the rulings of the sharia are seven. The rulings of the sharia are how many? Seven. That's why he went on to that now. The rulings of the Sharia are how many? Seven. I will break it down for you guys. Look at the seven that he mentioned. What was the first one? Al Wajib. But the second is what? Al Mandubu. The third one is Al Mubahu. Fourth one is Al Mahadur. Fifth one is what? Al-Makru. The first five, the first five, I repeat again, the first five are all called Ahkam Al-Shari'iyah Al-Taklifiyah. I repeat it. The first five, they are all called Ahkam Al-Shari'iyah Al-Taklifiyah. I repeat again. The first five. Al-Wajib, Al-Mandub, Al-Mubah, Al-Mahdur, Al-Makruh. Those five. All five of those are called, they're all called Ahkam, Al-Shari'ah, Al-Taklifiyah, Al-Taklifiyah. Am I making sense here? The last two, which is Sahih and Batil, they're called Al Ahkam Al Shari'ah Al Wad'iyah Al Wad'iyah. 
الأحكام الشرعية الوضعية The last two Shall I make it five and five? And add three to the last two? Shall I to finish off the ones that he didn't mention? Because they're both five each. Does that, am I making sense? Write the next three that he didn't mention. As a side benefit. Sabab. Sabab. It's the... F no, no, no. Sahih and Batil are called what? Al-Ahkam al-Shari'ah al-Wad'iyah, right? And how many are they? Two. The other one is how many? I want to make this one five and this one five. So I'm adding three to the second one. Al-Ahkam al-Shari'ah al-Wad'iyah. I'm going to add three onto it to make it five for you. That this author, the author here didn't mention, which the other scholars mentioned in their books. Sabab. Sharta. Sabab. Al-Sabab. Al-Sharta. 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 And the third one is Al-Mani'ah. Al-Mani'ah. Five and five. Sah? You will have that. Five and five. What is the difference between the two? Which two? Al-Hakam al-Shari'ah al-Taklifiyah and Al-Hakam al-Shari'ah al-Wad'iyah. What's the difference between the two? The difference between the two is Al-Hakam al-Shari'ah al-Taklifiyah is connected to the slave. Meaning, the slave is being demanded. One way or another. The slave is being demanded something. That's the first one, which is Ahkam al-Taklifiyya. Al-Ahkam al-Shara'iyya al-Taklifiyya. We all together. Al-Ahkam al-Shara'iyya and al-Shara'iyya al-Wadaiyya. The slave is not being demanded anything. He's not being demanded anything. Okay? Am I making sense? Yeah? He's not been demanding anything. Nothing has been demanded from him. Okay. Let's now go into the. Um, let's go into. Huh. We're going to come to that one. Now we're going to go through the wajib, then the mandub, then the mubah, then the mahdur, then the makruh, then the sahih, then the batil. As for the sabab, the shart, and the mani, I won't mention that for you. I just want you to know and write it down now. If I mention it, then I'm not teaching you warakat. What am I teaching you? The book after it. And that's not my goal. It defeats the purpose. I only mentioned it because of it being fair. That's it. But the author never mentioned it, so we won't mention it, inshallah ta'ala. Al-wajib, what does it mean? Al-wajib is ma'yuthabu ala fi'li. Doing it, you get rewarded for it. Wa'yu'aqabu ala tarki and leaving it, you'll be punished. Yeah? Are we all together? That's what wajib means, he said. Again, that definition of the author is wrong. That definition is wrong. Wajib is not ma yuthabu ala fi'li. And it's not وَيُعَاقَبُ عَلَى تَرْكِهِ Shall I listen to it again one more time? Wajib is, according to the Shaykh here, and not him alone, a lot of the usuliyin they fell into this mistake. A lot of them fell into this mistake, which is, they define wajib. First of all, you never define something based on the outcome. 
you define you don't you never define something because of its outcome. That's the first mistake. He's talking about what you get if you do a wajib. That's not a definition. What he should have called the definition of wajib was he should have said ma talabahu shari'u fi'lahu talaban jaziman that would have been the best way. But even if we take his definition the way he did it even then it's still wrong. Which is what? He's saying that wajib is if you do it you get rewarded for it. And if you leave off, you will be punished. So that means someone may leave off a wajib and Allah will definitely punish him. Is that true? Huh? Where's that gone? There are people who are going to leave wajibat the day of judgment. They've not done their wajib. And they will come and Allah will say, why did you not do this wajib? And he said, Rabbi, I didn't. Forgive me, my Lord. And he says, okay, I forgive you. Did we not say shirk is the only thing Allah doesn't forgive? Anything else Allah forgives? So how can you say that the person who leaves us the word will be punished? No. The best way he should have said it is, The one who leaves it off deserves to be punished. Sah? And, the one, and, and him doing it, he deserves to be rewarded. Because there are people who are going to do the wajibat, but they don't get rewarded for it. Are we all together? So what we say is, يَسْتَحِقُ فَاعِلُهُ thawab. The one who does it get, deserves to be rewarded. And the one who leaves it off deserves to be punished. استحقاق. Abu Ma'al al-Jwaini will come back and he will respond to that argument I brought right now. He will come back. And he will say, listen, no, I still stand by my, by my definition. I hold on to my definition and I believe what I said is right. Hey, how? He will say, will there be one person who will be punished for leaving off a wajib? The answer is yes, there will be. He said, my definition stands then. Will there be one person who does a wajib and gets rewarded for it? Yes, then that, my definition stands. As long as there is a group of people who will be rewarded for just doing their wajib and a group that will be punished for leaving off the wajib, the definition is correct. There's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't have to be qa'ida muqarida. It doesn't have to be everybody. You get the argument, response that he gave. And by the way, this itself, pages have been written on it back and forth. I hope you understand that. Yeah? What is, that's the wajib. Wajib, it's something you have to do forcefully. Have to do it forcefully. Sharia is not requesting for you to do it. It's telling you you have to do it. Okay. The mandub is what? Mandub is the thing that the Sharia is requesting for you to do in a recommended manner. It's good for you if you do it. You get this place in Jannah and this mandub. Mandub is highly recommended. It's recommended. The author again he did a mistake here. He said If you do it, you get rewarded. And if you leave it off. You will not be punished. Hmm. Yeah, the best definition for it is It is whatever the Sharia requested for you to do in a forceful manner. That's what wajib means. And the mandub is what the Sharia requested for you to do in a recommended manner. Okay, 
Mandub is whatever the Sharia requests for you to do in a recommended manner. That's a mandub. Mubah is what? Mubah is if you want, you can leave it, and if you want, you can do it. Ha. The, the, the fourth one is mahadur. Mahadur is haram. Huh? The mahadur is what? It's haram. Meaning, if you leave it off, you'll be rewarded, and if you do it, you'll be punished. Again, the author should mention, deserves to be punished. Yeah. The makruh is what? The makruh is what's disliked. By the way, the word makruh, according to the salaf and the mutaakhirin and the mutaqaddimin is different. The early generation, they used the word makruh as what? The early people. Haram. But the author here right now, he's referring to the later scholars. What they used it as. They used the word makruh as disliked. Whatever, the Quran, whatever Allah and his messenger dislike, it's called makruh. I mean the sharia, the religion doesn't like, sorry. Ah. Those are the five ahkam at-taklifiyya. Those are the five ahkam at-taklifiyya. Okay? The last two is as-sahih and al-batil. As-sahih and al-batil, brothers, means whatever is sahih. Like, for example, what we say is, your salah is sahih. Your, um, your, your the nikah was sahih. The buying and the selling was sahih. That's sahih. Ma it's whatever execution happens through it. Meaning the, the transaction has been fully executed. It's been done. This marriage is sahih. And batil is the opposite. Amma this hajj is sahih. Wahakada. ولفقه <تصفيق> والدليل هو المرشد إلى المطلوب أنه علامة عليه وظن تجويز الأمرين تجويز أمرين أحدهما أظهر من الآخر والشك تجويز الأمرين لا مزية لأحدهما على الآخر. The author now goes into um, a مسألة known as مراتب الإدراك the levels of perception. Write this down; it's very important. Levels of perception. Um, why is he going to the levels of perception? Because this whole subject is, talks about understanding and comprehension. Fiqh. That's what it's called. Usulul fiqh. Fiqh, understanding. The levels of perception are, number one, knowledge. Knowledge. The highest level of perception is knowledge. The second... Sorry... The first one is knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowledge is three things. Knowledge is what? Three things. In English, I think they, they study all of this in the, in, the, in the science called epistemology, right? You study it. What's the definition of knowledge? What does it mean? Knowledge is three things. Number one, 
there is a perception. Number one. Number one is there's a perception in your head. You've perceived something. One. Two. Idrakushay. As it really is. You've perceived something. That's number one. Number two. As it is. Your perception and the reality is the same. That's number two. Number three is with certainty. Number three is with certainty. Is to perceive something as it is with certainty. Knowledge is two types. The knowledge is two types. The first one is called essential knowledge. Essential knowledge. Essential knowledge. Ama necessary knowledge. It's knowledge that comes about without observation and pondering. It, it just comes. Like a newborn baby or a little baby, if you try to get him close to the fire, he'll go back and he wouldn't want to go in it. He didn't study that in university. He didn't go to... Huh? He didn't. He knows that. Everyone here knows by essential knowledge that half is less than a whole. And that one is less than two. Everyone knows that. That's essential knowledge. The second type of knowledge is called علم which is muktasab. Knowledge that comes about by observation, pondering, thinking, analyzing, critiquing, critically thinking. And that's this science that we're studying right now. Usul fiqh, for example. You guys are here to learn it because it's not an essential knowledge. Is it essential knowledge? If it was, then you guys wouldn't have been here. It's something you have to look for. You have to sit down. You have to understand it. Makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Repeat that. That's ilmun nadari. Nadari means observation. He'll mention all that soon. He'll mention that. The opposite to knowledge is what, brothers? The polar opposite to it is what? It's jahl, ignorance. Are we all together? Ignorance is no perception. That's it. There is no. There's no perception. Some scholars, they came back and they said, no, 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 no. Saying that ignorance is no perception is wrong because that's just one of the types of ignorance. They said there's another type of ignorance. So then that means it's safer to say, let's divide ignorance into two. Let's divide it into two, and each one has its own definition. Al jahlu ala nawain. Al jahlu ala nawain. Jahl is of two types. The first one is jahlun basit. Jahlun basit, which is simple ignorance. Simple ignorance. And simple ignorance is when the person says, I don't know. When you ask them something and they say to you, I don't know. There's nothing in their head. Sah? You say to a person, well, do you know what this means? And they say to you, no. This is called jahlun basit. It's simple ignorance. The reason why it's called simple ignorance is because it's very easy to educate that person. Simply easier to educate them. The second type is called compounded ignorance compounded ignorance 
It's jahl which is called jahl murakab, compounded ignorance. And this means idraku shay ala is perceiving something in opposite to its reality. It's when you perceive something to what it really isn't. So someone asked you, what is this? And you said, oh, it's a Samsung. It's a Samsung mobile phone. So you do have a perception. But your perception and the reality are two different things. This one is hard because this is the type of people you can never educate them. Because they think they know. I say, whoa, whoa, brother, calm down. I know this is Samsung uh, mobile phone. We've been using this 20 years ago. And they'll argue with you all day and you're like, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi That's called jahlun murakkab. Compounded ignorance. Why is it compounded? Because he doesn't know and he thinks he knows. It's compounded of two things. He doesn't know and he thinks he knows. For you to educate that person is for you, for you to have to bring them to the recognition that they don't know, first of all. And that itself is so hard. Because a lot of people don't like accepting ignorance. Are we all together? Okay. Now, the author, rahimahullah, he went into, um, what did we just say right now? Um, the the uh, second type of knowledge. What was the first type of knowledge? Essential knowledge. And the second one, what did we say? Huh? Nadari means attained knowledge, right? The knowledge that's attained, look what he defined it as. Look at your book. What did he say? He wrote, he said, Ilmul Muktasab. It's also called Ilmul Nadari. What did he say? Everyone look at yours. He said, It's the knowledge that comes through two things. Nadar means looking, and istidlal, which is to look for evidences. Ilmul Muktasab comes from observation. And then he defines for you what nadar means, which is to think over something. And istidlal means to look for evidences. Okay? And then he goes, istidlal comes from the word dalil, and then he breaks down what dalil means to you. But then there's another extra two types of perceptions that he mentioned. We have knowledge, and we have ignorance. The author mentioned how many? Knowledge and ignorance. Then he mentioned two extra ones. Which is Avanu Shaku. Are you there, brothers? What is Avanu? Uh, knowledge, we said it's knowing something as it is with certainty. That's knowledge. Ignorance is two types. The first type is I don't know. And that's he doesn't have no perception in his head. The second type of ignorance is he has a perception in his head, but it's opposite to the reality. Okay. Then there's something called Avanu. So you ask the person, you say, what is this brother? And he says to you, it's the Costa coffee. Did he get it right? Yes or no? He did get it right. He's in a state of speculation, but the percentage of what he believes regarding on this is high. That's called dhan. But there's that 40%. That 30% where he's like, mm, it could be a Samsung mobile phone. Allahu alam. Do you get it, brothers? 60% he's like, it, it's, a Samsung, it's, a, it's a Costa coffee. And there's that 40% or that 30% where he's like, Samsung. Costa, Costa coffee. Samsung. 
Do you guys want me to change it from Samsung to iPhone? The example. Some of you guys are upset. Yeah? Galaxy is better, yeah? Do you guys understand it? 60% bun. Sir? 60% is what? Bun. What about that 30%, that 40%? What is that called? Yeah? What is it called? Waham. Write that down. He also didn't mention that. I'm just mentioning it to a side benefit. That 30% or that 40% of him thinking that it's a Samsung, it's a Waham. Waham means it's delusion. He's deluded. On a doubt. See, English is problematic because dhan is doubt and so is shak. So it's best that you, understand, you just understand it uh, by understanding the meaning. The translation is going to be very weak because shak is doubt and so is dhan. Uh, 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 so uh, Both of them are doubts. Because this person is doubt, but high doubt. So let's just say this. Dhan is a high doubt, high speculation, and shak is a low speculation. No, 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 I'm going to come to shak. Wham is low speculation. Sah? Huh? Say that? Preponderant. I seen that. Yeah. What does that mean, by the way? Yeah. I when I looked it up, it's not it's not strong definition for the word avan. Yeah, it's not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Husnudan is derived from here, yeah. Husnudan is that you, you speculate good for someone. Meaning, in your heart, you you think bad of the bad person, but push it up to 60-70% and think good of them. Even though if every of those signs is pointing towards the direction that this person is malicious and he's trying to do something to you, just give him, push it up and say 60%, 70%, think good of them. Uh, but there is not certainty that you think good of this person. Uh, the scholars they say Husnul Billah is not the same as Husnul We're going to come to it. Just give me a minute. I'm going to explain both the different usages. Can we even base ahkam of the Sharia on Husnul and whatnot? Are we even allowed to? Because Allah says in the Quran, some places in Yatabiruna, in Yatabiruna illa dhan. They are following speculation. And in some of the places in the Quran, you know, some of the some of the Sunnah, when we look at it, we're basing the ahkam on dhan. Are we all together, brothers? So how do we reconcile between that? I'm going to come to that soon. Just give me a couple of minutes, inshallah ta'ala. Do we first all understand what dhan is? And waham is the opposite of what? Dhan. What about if it's 50-50? 50-50. A situation is put to you. What is this, brother? Allah is Samsung. No, no, it's Sukhasta. Samsung. 50-50. This is called shak. What's it called? It is called shak. It's called shak. It's called shak. Ah, yeah. Wa usul al-fiqh. 
طرقه على سبيل الإجمال وكيفية الاستدلال بها وأبواب أصول الفقه أقسام الكلام والأمر والنهي والعام والخاص والمجمل والمبين والظاهر والمؤول والأفعال والناسخ والمنسوخ والإجماع والأخبار والقياس والحظر والإباحة وترتيب الأدلة وصفة المفتي والمستفتي وأحكام المجتهدين Now we finished the definition of usul and the definition of fiqh but we haven't defined it together Yeah we haven't brought them together, have we? The author says, Usul fiqh together now is what? It's two things. Underline it. It's two things, right? The first one is Turuqu ala sabili ijmal wa kayfiyyati istidlali biha. So underline it in English. What does it say in English? Yeah? Who can come? Can you give me their book one time? I can just use it. Their warakat one time. Okay, underline it. Everyone underline it. He says general proofs of fiqh. That's underline that one as one. General proofs of fiqh. So you underline, deals with general proofs of fiqh, that's number one. And number two is methodology to adduce them as proof in evidential inquiry. Okay? That's the two things Usul al fiqh deals with. And I'm going to explain what each one is, okay? Who gave this to me? Muhammad. Two things Usul al-Fiqh deals with. The first one is what? The first point is general proofs. Usul al-Fiqh is general proofs, brothers and sisters. Usul al-Fiqh doesn't deal with detailed proofs or specific proofs. Who deals with specific proofs and detailed proof? Fiqh. Usul al-Fiqh doesn't. Example. An example is a commandment from Allah and His Messenger benefit us obligation. A commandment shows obligation. True or false? If Allah commands something or the Prophet commands something, it shows what? It shows obligation. What does it show? It shows obligation. This is a general proof. How do we know it's a general proof? It can enter any chapter in the religion wherever you find a command in the Quran wherever you find a command in the Sunnah you can use this proof and say is it a command? it's obligatory is it a command? it's obligatory does that make sense? it's a general proof the second thing Usul al-Fiqh deals with how to benefit from the text how to benefit from the text is this text general? is it specific? is it restricted? Is it unrestricted? Is it abrogated? Is it not? Ab it's the whole chapter we're going to come to called Dalalatul Al-Fad. We're going to come to that soon. Sheikh is going to bring it. It's look at it right now. Everyone look at it. Command, prohibitions, general, specific, ambiguous, 
clear, apparent, uh, interpretive, actions, uh, abrogated, abrogator. You see, all of these are what? How do I, is this text a command? Is it a prohibition? What type of command is this? What type of prohibition is this? Is it specific? Is it general? Is it ambiguous? Is it clear? All of that is how you benefit from the text. Like, I want to know if this is general. Is it for all of us, men and women? Or is it specific to a particular group of people? Is this only for the Prophet or is it for all of us as well? How to benefit from the text. Usul fiqh, that's the two things it discusses. Does that make sense? We're going to see the, the second one. Very, this is, the second one is actually the whole entirety of usul fiqh. Like this text in front of me, what is it? Are we all together, brothers? What is it? Is it general? Is it specific? Is it amb ambiguous? Is it clear? Is it, uh, is it abrogated? Is it abrogator? Uh, all of that. Are we all together? Huh. The, the, what's the difference between usul al-fiqh and? That's a very good, good question, but if we go into that right now, it's going to be... It's going to be tricky. It's going to confuse the students. It's going to be what? It's going to be tricky. It's best we don't. We'll just stick to usul for now. We won't do that because it will be hard for them to understand. Okay? Hey, Fadl. فأما أقسام الكلام فأقل ما يتركب منه الكلام اسمان أو اسم وفعل أو اسم وحرف أو فعل وحرف. والكلام ينقسم إلى أمر ونهي وخبر واستخبار وينقسم أيضا إلى تمني وعرض وقسم ومن وجه آخر ينقسم إلى حقيقة ومجاز فالحقيقة ما بقي في الاستعمال على موضوعه وقيل ما استعمل فيما اصطلح عليه من المخاطبة والمجاز ما تجوز به عن موضوعه والحقيقة إما لغوية وإما شرعية وإما عرفية والمجاز إما أن يكون بزيادة أو نقصان أو نقل أو استعارة فالمجاز بالزيادة مثل قوله تعالى ليس كمثله شيء وهو السميع البصير والمجاز بالنقصان مثل قوله تعالى واسأل القرية والمجاز بالنقل كاللغاية فيما يخرج من الإنسان والمجاز بالاستعارة كقوله تعالى جدار يريد أن ينقض the author, rahimahullah, here he goes into the biggest chapter of usul al-fiqh. And it's the chapter of speech. The Qur'an is whose speech? Allah. And the hadiths are whose speech? The Prophet, alayhi salatu These are the two things we need to focus on now. Sul fiqh, they want to focus on that. Allah's speech and the messenger's speech. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The thing that you... So, Hadithul Qudusi is whose speech? It's the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's speech. It's the whose speech? It's the Prophet's speech. The meaning is who by lakin? Allah azawajal. The only one that we say it's actually Allah's speech is only the Quran. This. Are we all together? 
The Quran is the only speech. Well, the Quran is the only thing we get closer to Allah by worshipping Him on it. As we get every letter we say from the Quran, we get rewarded for it. True or false? This is the word of Allah verbatim, word for word. Like in the Ahadith al Qudusi and Ahadith al Nabawi, no. Okay? Brothers and sisters, if you focus so much time on speech, you get somewhere, 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 very far in Usul al-Fiqh, this whole chapter, Al-Kalam. Give your life to it, this chapter of Al-Kalam. It is so important. And the base for this is the Arabic language. Okay? The base for it is what? It's the Arabic language. And if you look at the whole entire argumentation of the fuqaha, it's based on the language. It's based on the speech. Are we all together, brothers? Like I'll give you an example. An Imam Shafi'i believes if you touch a woman, she breaks her wudu. That's the view of Al Imam Shafi'i. Hey, where did you get that from, Al Imam Shafi'i? He said, the way, way I got that from is the statement of Allah, Oh, la mastumun nisa. Allah, when He's speaking about, Ya iladina amunu ida kumtum ila salati faqsilu wujuhakum wa idiakum ila almarafiqi wa msuhu birusikum arjulakum ila kabain wa in kuntum junuban fataharu wa in kuntum marda o ala safarin o ja ahadum minkum min alga idi o la mastumun nisa'a falam tajidu ma'an fatayamamu sa'idan ila akhiril aya. The ayah talks about the times that we need to do what? Wudu. Because I say, Ya iladina amunu ida kumtum ila salati faqsilu wujuhakum wa idiakum ila almarafiq. From the things that we need to do wudu from, in there is nisa. If you touch your women. The word lams here is being used in two meanings in the Quran. It's been used two meanings. Okay? The first meaning that the word lams has been used as is touch. And that's the one that Imam Shafi'i took. And there's another usage of the word lams which is intimacy. Intimacy. And that's the one that Maryama used. She said, uh, when she was talking to Jibreel, and Jibreel informed her that she's going to be uh, a mother, she said to Jibreel in response, وَلَمْ يَمْسَسْنِي بَشَرٌ وَلَمْ أَكُوْ بَغِيَّةٌ Are you going to promise me a child? وَلَمْ يَمْسَسْنِي بَشَرٌ Mas, touch. Here she meant intimacy, of course. She didn't mean touching. But then also the word lams meant لَا يَمَسُّهُ Lams here means touching. Which of the two does it mean in the ayah, Surah Al-Ma'idah or Surah Al-Nisa? Does it mean lams, yani al-jama'ah? Or does it mean, yani lams, mujarrad al-lams, mere touching? صح? Now, based on the definition of this word right now in this ayah, changes the whole entire fiqh action that you're going to do. Al-Kalam. Are we all together, brothers? It changes a lot. وَلِذَلِكَ fiqh and learning fiqh, it goes back to this concept of kalam, al-kalam. So that's why the, the first chapter the author started with is al-kalam. The author divided the kalam in three ways. If you can write this down, inshaAllah. He looked at the speech from three perspectives. Okay? And I, he looked at it from three perspectives. Just like we can look at the human being from three perspectives. Can we not? Complexion. Height and weight. So we can look at you. We can divide people in terms of their complexion. We can divide people in terms of their height. And I'm. And oh, sorry, uh, sorry. The first one is their complexion, and the second one is their height, and the third one is their their weight. So what you say is people's complexion: white, 
black, وهكذا. Height, tall, short. In terms of their weight, chubby, um, skinny, slim, وهكذا. صح? So you categorize people like that. The, where, the, the issue of al-kalam can be also categorized like that. The author looked at it from three perspectives. The first one is, what's the bare minimum that can be classified as a speech? What's the bare minimum speech that a person can say? What's the bare minimum of a speech? Speech here means a sentence. What's the bare minimum that can make a sentence in the Arabic language? Okay? That's the first form. We're going we're gonna to come back to that. And the second way is... Speech in terms of its meaning. Speech in terms of its meaning. Speech, looking at from the angle of what it can mean. And the third one is... Speech in terms of how it's utilized. Speech in terms of how it's utilized. Let's go back to the first one. The author did a mistake. Abi Ma'ali al-Jwaini, so we correct him and we'll tell you it. The bare minimum that the Arabs consider to be a kalam, a speech, a sentence. By the way, the word speech here is a synonym of the word sentence. It means sentence. The bare minimum that the Arabs will consider to be a speech or a sentence is two nouns. Two nouns. Two nouns. Nouns. You all know nouns, right? Two nouns. Like ad-deenun nasiha. Ad-deen is a noun. Okay? How do we know it's a noun? Because it starts with an alif and lam. Ad-deen. And an-nasih ana is a noun, second noun. How do we know it's a noun? Because it starts with a what? Alif and lam. So that's the bare minimum. That's a complete sentence. The religion is advice. Sah? Also, it can be a noun and a verb. A noun and a what? A noun and a verb. It can be that. Or a verb and a noun, it doesn't matter how, which one you put first. For example, الحقو, the truth has come. Ja'a is a verb, الحقونا is a noun. That's it. That's the bare minimum. Two words. Either two nouns or a verb and a noun. I'm a noun and a verb, however you want to put it. Are we all together? Same page? We finished the first type of categorization of speech. The author mentioned four, but he's wrong. It goes only back to two. Okay? They only go back to two. The second type of categorization of speech is in terms of its meaning, correct? And the author, rahimahullah, he made it into what? Into three. Into three. A command in terms of its meaning. A speech in terms of its meaning can be three. Of course, we're talking about speech here, the Quran and the Sunnah, because Usul al-Fiqh we're studying. It can be a command, which is Amr. 
or a nahi, a prohibition, or a khabar, a statement. That's it. Let me make it okay. The Amar and the Nahi are both called the commandment and the prohibition are both called in Shah in Arabic. What's it called? In Write that down. The Amar and the Nahi, the commandment and the prohibition are both called in Insha. Okay? What's it called? It's called an insha. So the, the speech that the Arabs use in terms of, the, sorry, the meaning that it has is either a khabar or an insha. And under the insha comes what? Under the insha, what comes? Amr and nahi. What's the difference between a khabar and an insha? The difference between it is that the khabar, a khabar, you can say it's truthful or it's a lie. You can say that. Whereas the insha, you can't say it's truthful or it's a lie. Because it's, it's something you've been told to do. Or you've been prohibited from something. You can't say, you can't say to someone who's telling you, come here, you're lying. So insha is ma la yahtamilu sidqa kadib. Okay? Insha is something that doesn't take a lie and it can't take truthfulness. Insha. Whereas a khabar, you can say it's a lie or it's not. Does that make sense? Naam. The third type that the author, rahimahullah, categorized the speech into is in terms of how it's utilized. And it's two types. It's what? Two types. Haqiqa and majaz. Haqiqa and majaz, what is it? Haqiqa is what we would say literal speech. And majaz is figurative speech. Figurative speech. And a haqiqa is a what? It's literal. A haqiqa is if it's me saying, yesterday I saw a lion. You're like, whoa, really? Where were you? Where did you go to? That's what you'll say to me, right? And I'll tell you, it was... In the zoo. Okay? The second one is, I saw a lion on the pulpit giving a lecture. Who am I talking about? Huh? A brave man. Are we all together? How do you know the second one is a brave man? I mean, it could be a woman as well. No problem. But you would realize it's not water. It's not a lion. How did you know it's not a lion? Because in the context, I said to you, giving a lecture. I'm giving a reminder or on the pulpit. This diverted it from being the literal speech it was and it made it what? It made it figurative speech. It made it what? Figurative speech. So the Arabs, they believe that the speech is one of two. It's either haqiqa or it's majaz. Okay, now I'm going to go into an issue I really want you guys to all pay attention to, which is 
Haqiqa and majaz. Can we say that the Quran has majaz? Figurative speech? Yeah? Can we say the Sunnah has figurative speech? Because if we say that the Quran or the Sunnah have figurative speech in it, a figurative speech, you can't reject it. Because if I tell you, I saw a lion on the pulpit, you're going to be like, you mean a brave person? He's not a lion. Of course, he's not a lion. You reject that portion of my speech and you accept the courageous side. صح? So if we say that the Quran has figurative speech, it opens the door of what? Rejection. So but then you can say that, okay, that's not the real case. It's this. Are you going to say that? Can you say that to the Quran? Like the Quran is telling you something like, yeah, it doesn't mean lying here. Of course it doesn't. It means, can you say this? This, by the way, is a long, ongoing argument. And some scholars, they said there is figurative speech in the Quran. What are you talking about? Here, what's the example? This is the example for that is, Jidaran yuridu an yanqadda fa'aqamah. Jidaran, a, a wall. Yuridu, the wall wants an yanqadda to fall. Can the wall want? Can the wall, can we attribute want to the wall? This is figurative speech. It's majaz. The author here right now, he's, he's, he's saying it's majaz. He's of the opinion that it's majaz, figurative speech. That when Allah wa ta'ala was saying that, he didn't mean that the wall wanted something. It just meant that the wall was going to fall. Ibn Taymiyyah and Al-Allama Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqitiyu said, no, no, there's no majaz in the Quran. Ibn Taymiyyah fought against the idea that there's majaz in the Quran. And so did Muhammad Amin al-Shanqiti. Amin al-Shanqiti went as far as to say that there's no majaz even in the Arabic language. Forget the Quran. All of it's haqiqah. So how do you respond to this ayah? He said that the mountain, so the wall actually does have a want. What are you talking about? Didn't the Prophet not go on the mountain of Uhud and it started to move? And he said, Uthbut ya Uhud, fa inna ma'alayka nabiyun. Upon you is a Prophet. Was Siddiq, Abu Bakr, was Shahidan, two martyrs, Umar and Uthman. The Prophet said, Uthbut, be firm, showing you that the mountain has the choice to choose what it wants to do. If it wants it can be still or if it wants it can move. Ibn Taymiyyah, what are you talking about? What about the Prophet when the pulpit was built for him in his masjid? The pulpit was made and it was brought to him as a gift. And the Prophet moved from where he used to do the khutbah, he moved somewhere else. The branch that the Prophet used to grab when he used to do the khutbah, it cried that the whole entire com companions who were in front of the Prophet heard the crying of the, the jidah. Ah, hadith sahih. And the Prophet went up to it. And he calmed it down. Said, did it have it? Did it? Did it have a want? Ibn Taymiyyah said, Yes, it does. Are we all together? <laughs> Ibn Taymiyyah went on to saying, "Wa min shayin, there is nothing on this earth illa yusabbihu bihamdihi, walakin la tafqahuna tasbihahum." Everything around us exalts Allah. It does tasbih of Allah, walakin la tafqahuna tasbihahum. But you guys, huh? But you guys don't understand the way that exalts Allah Azza wa Jalla. So these objects around us, they do have a irada. Ibn Taymiyyah is saying. Ibn Taymiyyah has two views in this issue, by the way. He has what? Two views. One of his views is like he doesn't allow it. And in his fatawa al-madaniyya, if you read it, it's like he want, he's, he's for it. 
Wallahu a'lam. Which of his views was the last one? I'm of the opinion that there is majaz in the Quran. And there's no problem in saying that there's majaz in the Quran and the Sunnah. Are we all together, brothers? I'm with those view of those scholars who say there is. How do we reconcile between that? I'll leave that for tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala. And how to respond to those arguments. Um, I'll leave it for tomorrow, inshallah. Anyone have any questions that want me to answer it for them? Now, any questions? والذين كفروا أعمالهم كسرام بقيعته يحسبه الضمان ما حتى إذا أخرج يده لم يكد يراها ومن لم يجعل الله له نورا ضمانهم. That's the people who are dead. So, whether it's figurative speech, you mean? No, that's حقيقة. That's not figurative speech. If Allah said they did that, they wouldn't be able to because of the darkness that they're in. That's if العلا if they were to do that. It's just no no مجاز. The majaz in the Quran is uh, Go ask the village You go to the village and you speak to the village It's figurative speech It means go to the people of the village And uh, the word غائط for example Is tajawuz It's figurative speech for this word But it's not for this word Anyways the point is when I looked at Muhammad Amin al-Shaqiyati's argument and Ibn Taymiyyah's argument, they said there is no such a thing as majaz. There is only something called uslub al-Arabi. Ibn Taymiyyah and Amin al-Shaqiyati, call uslub al-Arabi or majaz the same thing. You just change the name from it being uslub al-Arabi into majaz and then calling it majaz. It's really not. If you look at it, the khilaf is not a lot hard. The real reason they're arguing against the Ibn Taymiyyah and Amin al-Shaqiyati are closing this door off is because a group of people use the concept of majaz to reject Allah's names and attributes. Do you see it? They said that when we read Yadullahi fawqa aydihim, Allah's hand is above their hands. And things like that, they said this is figurative speech. Allah doesn't have a hand. Are we all together, brothers? And Shaykh Al-Islam Taymi said that the first people who used this concept that the Quran has figurative speech and majaz, where it first came from, was not the Salaf who had the Ummah. It wasn't the Salaf. And where did it come from? It came from the Mu'tazila. They were the ones who first brought it. They were the first ones to say that there's figurative speech and there's literal speech and this is figurative speech and they used it as a stepping stone to reject Allah's names and attributes. صح? So that's one of the strongest arguments of Shaykh Al-Islam Taymi and Ibn al uh, Are we all together? Ibn al-Qayyim in his kitab Mukhtasar Sawa'iq al-Mursala He added it to the one of the five tawagheet Majaz One of the five tawagheet Tawagut Is al-Majaz I mean Ibn al-Qayyim It's very hard against it But we'll respond to it inshallah Ta'ala And the answers that the scholars on the other side gave In response to this issue Now That's the issue now Allah's names and attributes are not figurative speech and they're not majaz, they're haqiqa. Because any speech that there is a karina, a karina meaning external evidence to divert it from its asal, it becomes a majaz. Like I just said to you right now, I said to you, I saw a lion giving a khutbah. Giving a khutbah is a karina, diverted it from being a lion. 
Does that make sense? Allah's names and attributes show us that karina that diverts it from its literal meaning. Ya ayyuhal mu'tazila. So we don't close the door of majaz. We just say that the majaz is only accepted when it has a karina in it. And Allah's names and attributes don't. They don't have that karina. Does that make sense? Karina is an external evidence that diverts something from being. Are we all together? That diverts it from being its literal meaning. Um, yeah, fadal. Yeah. I personally believe and I'm not just the only person believe, other ulama noble scholars believe it as well they say that the majaz that Sheikh Islam Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim and Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti and everything it's not a big dispute on both parties I actually don't see a big khilaf amongst them they're all coming together as as long as the majaz is the asal is not majaz the asal is literal speech if I say to you I saw a lion you can't be like whoa he saw a brave man no, it's wrong for you to think that because I never gave you any external evidence to believe so otherwise. My speech, you have to understand it at its literal meaning when I speak. But when I speak and I bring a karina in my speech, it can't be diverted from its asal. Are we all together? But if two people are arguing, one is saying this kalam is haqiqa, it's literal, and the other one is saying it's figurative speech, the one who takes the, uh, the one who takes uh, evidences and is going to be given the proof is the one who said it's asal, uh, haqiqah. Because the asal of speech is haqiqah. The one who said figurative speech, we're going to say, show us the karina, where's the karina? If we can't see any karina there, we'll say, this, is haq- this kalam is haqiqah, leave it alone. That's haqiqah. That's haqiqah. There's no karina. What's going to. Huh? بما كانوا يكسبون نعم حقيقة. The one who made the mouth speak is the one that's going to make it. قالوا أنطقنا الله الذي أنطق كل شيء. The one who made the other parts of the body speak is the one that's going to make the hands and the legs speak. That's not hard for Allah عز وجل. كن فيكون. That's literal. That's حقيقة. That's not مجاز. Ah, but no, 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 it's not like that. It's actually going to speak. Yantuk, nutk, sound is going to come from the hand. The one who made this one speak, why can't he make this one speak? But those who believe in uh, Majaz can as well. No, Abed, then there's no, there's no, this is wrong for them to think that. We're going to say, yo, this is distortion of the verse because it has no karina in the verse. The verse doesn't have no karina diverting it from it. Where does it say that it's not literal? It's haqiqah. The ayat are clear. Allah is saying after that, And then in another ayah, what did they say? Um, they say, they say in response to it, um, uh, they say, Why are you witnessing against us? That's sarih, clear cut, show you that they're going to speak. This is the issue now, that Shaykh al-Islam and Ibn al-Qayyim and Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaykhiyati is that people take the majaz into places it doesn't fit which then distorts the quran are we all together the majaz is only accepted when it has its karina when it has what there's a karina karina meaning there's an evidence within the speech that shows that it's not mean meant literally other than that if a speech comes we leave it at its literal form 
unless we have an external evidence that diverts it from its literal form. Naam. Anyone who says this speech is figurative, we're going to say, what's the delete for, for it being figurative speech? If you say this is figurative speech, it's majaz. Okay, wait in a delete. Where is the evidence? Sahih. Where is the evidence that it's figurative speech? The asal of. There's no person you meet except that you take whatever they say to you literal. That's the asal, right? If someone says to you, brother, I'm going, you're like, figurative speech. Would you do that? It's insane for you to think that. Are you with me, brothers? You don't understand everything a person says to you. The default position is that you understand it in its literal form. Are we all together? Unless there's an external evidence within his speech that gives you an implication that it's not meant by what? Yeah? Are we all together? For example, somebody says to you, Aki, you know my speech, take it and toss it over your shoulder. Is that figurative or is it literal? Figurative speech. Why is it figurative speech? Because words can't be tossed aslam. That's taqarina in the word. So you automatically you're going to understand it is just ignore what I said. True or false? The speech can be understood as figurative and it can be understood as literal. And the asal is that the speech is left at its literal form. Well, Allah's names and attributes are literal. And anyone who says Allah's characteristics and attributes are majaz, like the Asha'ira and the Maturidiyya and other groups like that, Ahlul Sunnah took them out of the fold of Ahlul Sunnah. They have nothing to do with Ahlul Sunnah. Are we all together, brothers? And the evidence to show that is Allah Ta'ala said in the Quran, uh, the Jews they said Yadullahi maglula. Allah's hands are closed Meaning Allah is stingy That's what they said Allah said Ghullat aydihim Their hands are the ones That's closed and sealed And they're the ones Who are stingy Not Allah Azza Now Asha'ira and other groups Will come and they will say The hand of Allah here Doesn't mean literal It means Allah gives It's referring to generosity Sah? It's not literal Figurative speech The question is It can't be figurative speech Why? But then, when you come to the Jews, they say figurative speech as well. Are we all together? You can't just say it for the first part and not the second part. Are we all together? It doesn't stand like that. Are we all together, brothers? For example, they say, Allah Ta'ala said about Nabi Adam when he created, I created Adam with my two hands. He says, it means qudra. The word yad here means qudra. It can't be. It can't be. How? Because when you say to be a ya, the ya in there is called ya'u tathniya. It's the ya of dual. So it means if we say it's qudra, it becomes qudrataini. Are we all together? So are you restricting Allah's qudra to two? And Allah is saying, Wallahu ala kulli shay'in qadir. The zahir of the ayah doesn't accept that. Do you see my point, brothers? So what I'm saying is that the speech, Allah's characteristics and attributes are vahir. That's why the Salaf, they said, Go over it as it came. No figurative speech. They are literal. Allah's. Am I making sense? By the way, another thing I want to tell you, just at one point. We don't determine what's majaz and what's not. We have to go back to the early Salaf and pious predecessors and the way they understood the ayah and what they understood when they took from it. Are we all together in the tafsir of the ayah they gave? 
So a person can't just read the Quran and say, look, is this majaz? Yeah, it seems majaz to me. It seems majaz to me. That's wrong. Yeah, yeah, Sheikh Al-Islam Taymiyyah mentions it there now. Yeah? The word haraj. Yes. Not haraj. That's haraj with a ha. Haraj. I'm a harj. Harj is the correct way. It's a lafz kalimatun habashiyya. Ya'ani al-qatr. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean uh, haraj. Haraj is different. Huh? ليس على الأعمى حرج ولا على الأعرج حرج ولا على المريض حرج أليس هذا بالحقيقة The enjoying here is that you wasn't punished Any other If you did not get punished by the hellfire you enjoyed yourself So all the blessings you've taken in the dunya. So if anyone who's not punished, I said to you, is in a state of ni'mah. The eyes that Allah gave you to the kafir. The hearing that he gave him is a blessing. He can't be suffering from every blessings of Allah. The fact that he existed is a blessing from Allah. والله أعلى وأعلم وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين